If you are listening to this on the day that it drops, we are currently 115 days away from the season opener in New Orleans against Tulane. Now, on the surface, that does seem pretty far away. After all, we're not even through May yet, and we also have an entire summer that we have to get through. But also consider this. 115 days ago was January 17th. The Sooners were already about three weeks into the offseason at that time, and the national championship game had already passed. So yeah, these next 115 days may be rough, but we're already halfway through the offseason, and in a month's time, the entire Sooner roster will be on campus for workouts. Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan will not be part of those workouts. The hot controversy of the spring has already came and passed. Now, receiving a pledge from Arkansas transfer wideout Mike Woods, as well as learning that Mikey Henderson is now in the running back room, have taken a lot of the drama out of the two spring dismissals for sure. Unless something unforeseen happens, which, let's be real, is always a concern when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old young men, OU is going to be able to transition into the summer months with little drama on their roster. No one was seriously hurt during the spring. Sure, there were some holdouts like Pat Fields and Theo Weiss, but their absence likely opened the door for other players to get more reps and more comfort within the system. Players they will definitely need this season. Yep, this really has been a great spring for OU. As we come into the summer months and the players start to trickle into campus, the fan base can rest easy knowing that they're going into summer with essentially a clear path to get better and challenge each other. Now, just pray for no injuries and that hard work to pay off sometime in January. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. We're back. It's May, and the OU season opener at Tulane is less than four months away. Since the last time we talked, Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan have been officially kicked off the team, plus arrest warrants have been filed for both former players. Now that the football part of that story has pretty much been settled, I'll let you know how I feel about that whole situation. On a much, much lighter note, ESPN released its post-spring top 25 and ranked the Sooners number one. Yes, the hype continues, and speaking of post-spring, Grant and I will run down our post-spring depth charts and other topics of note. The NFL draft came and went with five Sooners being drafted. Grant and I will tell you our thoughts on their landing spots. Plus, I believe both of us has some crow to eat when it comes to the NFL draft. So without further ado, let's welcome back Grant to the show. Grant, what's going on today? You know, it's uh, nothing much going on today. Before we started recording, uh, I, was, I was telling you about this hit piece that a local uh, news station ran on on PJ Fleck, the Minnesota Gophers head uh, head football coach, and I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it here, but anybody who is into college football should go and watch it just so you can see how terribly awful it is, and not like in the sense that what PJ Fleck did was awful. It's it's one of the worst hit pieces I've ever seen for anything. So people, yeah, look up a WCCO in Minnesota, and you'll be able to find. I'm sure it's all over their front page. You'll be able to uh, be able to find it easily. It's bad. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I'm going to watch it after we're done recording here. And it's interesting, even more for me, since I work in local news, I'll be curious to see how the story goes. But you told me about it, and it it doesn't sound good for CCO, which is a very good local news station. They in are. They're very good. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a really good station. So I'm, I'm curious to watch it, and uh, I will report back to you after I do watch it. But yeah, if anybody out there is interested, uh, go check it out. <clears throat> 
All right, first order of business today, kind of the, uh, um, let's just get this out of the way. Yeah, the whole Trajan Bridges, Seth McGowan thing, they're off the team. The arrest warrants were filed last week on felony charges of robbery, conspiracy, and assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Now, Grant, you and I talked about the situation a few weeks ago after we found out that both players were suspended from the team. And at that time, I didn't give as many opinions as you did because I was just waiting for it all to play out. And now that it pretty much has played out, you know, both players have been charged. They're no longer on the roster. Uh, There's no need to comment on their pending legal journey. I mean, the charges, of course, are very serious. Uh, Also, innocent until proven guilty. What matters, though, is these guys are not with the program anymore, and I am happy to comment on the implications of them being off the football team. So the last time we talked about this, Grant, you, you were pretty disturbed by what this all could mean for Oklahoma looking ahead to 2021. Now that we know for sure that the guys are gone and the football stuff of this has been resolved pretty early on, you know, we're early, early mid-May now. We're not going to have to worry about this dragging on through the summer into the fall. Are you still as bothered by this as you were, you know, what, three or four weeks ago when the news came out? No, no. Um, and that's kind of why I put that little bit in the opening take. Uh, just wanted to, um, it, it's a bit of an about face, of course. But I think at the time I even, I, I had the caveat of, I, you know, may just be living in the moment right now. And, I, and that's, that's what happened. That's definitely what happened. And so that's why I wanted to put it in the, in the opening take that the, the spring controversy, it's done. It's over. It's, it's not a factor on this football team whatsoever anymore. And like you said, we can talk about uh, you know the impact of Trajan Bridges not being there, which I think is probably a bigger deal than Seth McGowan. Um, but, you know, I mean, it really, they got Mike Woods, and Mike Woods is, has, has many more catches and yards and touchdowns than Trajan Bridges does in his career. Um, and so um, I, I just, yeah, I don't think um, – once we got once we got out of this, and once we were able to kind of look at everything with the full picture, uh, I, I this is just this is not fatal at all for the twenty twenty one season. It's unfortunate for sure. It's 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 never good when this happens, and I'm sure it was a it was a big deal on the team for you know the week or two. But it's done now. It's done. It's over. They're not with the team anymore. Uh, there are no there's there's nothing you need to be anxious about. It's not a Joe Mixon situation. Um, and so that's that's kind of why I wanted to just like you know you you reset the deck. And everyone is going to be there in the summer, at the beginning of June, and they 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 do get to start kind of with a clean slate, no injuries, no drama, just get better. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear you say that because uh, you know, again, back then I wasn't saying as much, just because again I was trying to wait for it all to play out. But you know, at the time when all that news came out, you know, whenever that was, about a month or so ago. I mean, it was about a week, week and a half before the spring game. I, I wasn't too terribly troubled when it came out as far as Oklahoma's outlook. To me, this was two players, uh, allegedly, uh, making horrible individual decisions and now with felony charges. Depending on how this plays out legally, both of these guys could have massive hills to climb to find any semblance of a normal life the rest of their life. So that's for them, personally. It's, it's an individual thing. When it comes to Oklahoma... I don't think this changes anything for what we're hoping for in 2021. In fact, getting two players off the team that would even be charged with something like this is probably for the best. Uh, There's no need to have that kind of crap around this football program. You had Trajan Bridges. He's barely seen the football field since he's been at Oklahoma. And I understand that he was being talked up this spring and Spencer Rattler seemed to have good rapport with him. But the previous two plus years of his lack of playing time stands out to me a lot more 
than a good spring practice in 2021. Now, we all think this guy could have been one of the best wide receivers on the team. I know I've had high hopes for Bridges ever since he got on campus. But hopes aren't the same as results, and we just we never saw any results from Trajan Bridges. And I get that he didn't play uh, until the very end of the 2020 season, but that's also kind of the point, right? I mean, why didn't he get to play? He didn't get to play because he broke the rules. And somehow his two other teammates, Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson, also broke the rules, but they got to come back and play halfway through the season, and Bridges did not. Uh, the why of that, I think, is still pretty unclear. I don't, I don't know why Bridges didn't come back, but he couldn't – basically, to me, he couldn't get out of his own way, and I'd prefer for those types of people to not, not be on this roster. So as far as – that's Bridges. As far as McGowan goes, no prior history of issues that we know of, uh, yet he was allegedly along with Bridges on this one, you know, felony charges with an arrest warrant out. He had a chance to be that third back behind Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray in 2021. Uh, Obviously not anymore. He had Mikey Henderson. He had already moved to running back uh, before all this stuff happened. So that told me that Lincoln Riley already believed that Henderson had the talent to be a player that could touch the ball multiple times a game. The talent to be a player that, you know, could be a feature running back at times during games in Oklahoma system. So now Henderson, he's going to be that number three guy right now. Marcus Majors, number four. Uh, Would it be better to have a fifth scholarship back on the roster? Of course. Of course it would. And, I mean, just speculation on my part, there's still a full summer. There's still time for the Oklahoma, uh, for them to go out and get a running back, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, uh, they could do that. Um, And I know you got something you want to add here in a moment. I'm almost done. Uh, But, you know, all things being equal, would Bridges and McGowan have helped Oklahoma on the field in 2021? I think... That's obvious. Yes, they, they would have. Uh, however, ejecting players from the program that get felony charges and arrest warrants is a good thing, no matter how much they could have helped on the field. And I think the team was probably disappointed in those guys kind of right away. And they still probably are. Uh, but they're going to move on without them. They are. I mean, they got more important things to focus on. It's going to be okay uh, for the team. And as long as there's no other distractions like this moving forward, there's just too much at stake in 2021. And I think there's too many players in that locker room who understand the moment and know this is a real chance for Oklahoma football to make history for the first time in a long, long time. And so I am glad that this has been resolved, and I'm feeling pretty good about the way things are headed moving forward the rest of the year. I I think you articulated that really well, saying, you know, I mean, would Bridges and McGowan, would they help the team in 2021? And yeah, I mean, of course they would. Um, If anyone remembers, I mean... Uh, Lincoln Riley, not so subtly during the fall, essentially said Trajan Bridges is is Tylen Wallace, um, which I think everyone would think, you know, yeah, add Tylen Wallace to this offense, and that sounds awesome, right? Um, but the best part about it is that it's all theoretical. It's all hope. We've never seen him. I, we, we've seen him catch, I think, one touchdown as a Sooner, and it, it came from Austin Kendall or, or Tanner Mordecai, I don't know, in, in mop-up duty. Um, no, I think Spencer Rattler threw that touchdown. Oh, you are right. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. I was, for whatever reason, I was thinking it was in the, uh, what game was that? Was that South Dakota? It was the South Dakota game, I think. Yeah. And so, and yeah, like, so I just, once the dust has settled, once, I mean, Mike Woods has, has been accepted into the program. He's, he's, he's at OU. He's a guy who, you know, he's a guy who is going to be able to replace that production because there wasn't any. Um, and so it's just, yeah, I mean, you like, you wish him the best. 
but you're right. I mean, this is addition by subtraction. If they're if they're the type of guys who are going to put themselves in that situation, this is addition by subtraction for sure. What do you think about the chances? And this is all just pure speculation. I mean, they got this whole summer. Is there a shot that they could get another running back out of the portal or something? I don't I know. Think so. I don't know if they have any scholarship. Yeah, I think the, there's plenty I mean, of time for it. The thing is, though, I mean, you're not going to get you're not going to get anybody who is who like wants to come in and make a huge impact. I, I doubt yeah. you're going to get anyone like that. But yeah, I mean, right, a, a depth right. piece from you know a guy who maybe blocks well and can. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past them at all to to go look for another running back. Just look at last season as reasoning why you probably do need to do that. So I mean, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But are they going to check the transfer portal for some running backs? Yeah, I mean, like, why not? Why wouldn't you? Although, I mean, Todd Hudson, Jaden Knowles, I mean, they made a statement in the spring game. They like, hold on, guys. We got this. You don't need a scholarship for uh, some good running back, uh, some good depth at running back. You thought you had your hands full with Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks? Just wait till you see Todd <laughs> Hudson. Guy dominated yeah. South Dakota. Be, be afraid. He did. He did. All right. Over to, uh, to some more lighter college football topics. ESPN's post-spring top 25 came out, uh, was that a week ago, week and a half ago, and uh, Grant, one of your favorite college football writers, Mark Schlebaugh, is that right? I can't remember if you like him or not. I'm not, or, a, Schlab- like, I'm no. not a Schlebaugh guy. I like, you know, I like, uh, I like, like Bruce Feldman I, I, and I, Seth and, and, and Mandel. Um, hold on. I, I, meant it, like, I meant it kind of more of like a, one of your favorites in like a jest sense of like you actually don't like them. Is, oh, is yeah. That, or am I... Am I confusing it with somebody else? I, I don't know. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of people. Uh, Pat Forty is my, is my main guy. I just that guy yeah, is, it's, that guy okay. has just awful takes for everything. But it, Schlebaugh, I'm not sure if I've ever gone in on Schlebaugh. Yeah, I haven't. I can't recall anything that Schlebaugh has said or done. Or so maybe he's just kind of there. Uh, so, anyways, Mark Schlebaugh was the guy who wrote this, and his. So it's his top 25. It's his opinion. Great, and he's got Oklahoma number one. Uh, this is all coming out of spring practice, obviously. So in case you haven't read it yet, which I'm sure you probably all have, but I'll go through the top five. It goes OU, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State. Six through ten, Iowa State, Texas A&M, North Carolina, Cincinnati, and Oregon. So that's your top ten. Uh, so you know, in the top ten, there's three SEC teams, two Big 12 teams, two ACC teams, one Big 10, one Pac-12, and Cincinnati out of the AAC. Now, uh, last week, Lincoln Riley talked a little bit, and that's when he announced that Bridges and McGowan were off the team. Uh, and he was asked about this ESPN post-spring ranking. And Riley said that he appreciated that some people out there have respect for his team and have respect for the players coming back. But inside these walls in Oklahoma, they've got some pretty high expectations themselves. And ultimately, preseason rankings are meaningless, which, of course, is correct. Uh, so, Grant, you know, we've been talking about the hype surrounding Oklahoma ever since. I mean, it seems like since the end of the Cotton Bowl, because after that game, all the players, Riley, I mean, they were very serious. You could tell by their tone of voice what they were saying, that they knew it was already time to turn the page to 2021 and it was going to be the time for Oklahoma. So for, for months we've been talking about it. Now you've got ESPN here at the end of spring ball acknowledging that, yeah, OU's got a lot of potential for 2021. So here is my biggest concern and i've said this before but i'll say it again now this team is full of players who have no clue what it takes to win a national championship they got a a coaching staff that 
doesn't have any idea what it takes to win a national championship as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we got a guy uh, on the, the staff, DeMarco Murray, who made it there but couldn't play in a game, and they lost against Florida. And who knows, I'm probably missing out on a couple other guys that have some sort of championship-type pedigree in, in the past, but it doesn't work well for my argument here, so we're just going to ignore that right now. But it, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But the point is, all these players, as I'm focusing on the players mainly, they're seeing a national publication like ESPN anointing them number one right now. And so all these guys in this locker room might think, oh, okay, well, whatever we're doing right now, whatever we have been doing, that's good enough. Let's just keep doing that. We're good. We're golden. But what if it's not good enough? What if what they're doing is not what it takes to win a national championship? What if these college kids don't prepare as well this summer as they would otherwise if maybe they weren't being ranked number one by ESPN in May? I mean, I, it's May. This is a talking point for now. I know it's probably not that big of a deal, but that right now is my biggest concern. And that's why and what we've been talking about for months, can this program handle this kind of high expectations? Uh, because the hype hasn't been like this for years, Grant. That's my biggest concern. I mean, that's you're, I mean, that's pretty classic. Uh, you're you're kind of I'm scared's not the right word, but you're kind of weary of the high expectations. I understand. I'm I'm I'm, yep. I'm kind of in that. I'm sort of in that boat too. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of you know us, us PTSD OU fans. When we see that, we're just we kind of instantly start to brace ourselves for heartbreak. Um, and so I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, I'm I'm kind of more interested in. I I would love to know what Schleybaugh's kind of methodology was for this because you would think, I mean, he's the lead college football writer for ESPN. You would think he's got some sources and it makes me wonder if, if his, a lot of his sources maybe have NFL connections or whatever. And those guys are saying, yeah, OU's got a lot of dudes who are going to get drafted on this team. Um, and it makes, it makes me curious if like, if maybe NFL types or other, or other, um, people connected to the program have started to say, yeah, not only that, they got a lot of defensive linemen who are going to get drafted. And they also have potentially the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. Plus they got this Eric Gray dude who a lot of people are kind of whispering and mumbling, guy, this guy might be really, really good too. Plus, I mean, it's OU, so it's like, oh, we know they have good receivers and whatnot. And so I think OU right now is is, is a very logical team to put up there right now. It, the, the logic really does work out. Them and Georgia, I, I think, are the two most logical teams right now headed into um, into this season to kind of pick for the top just because of what they have coming back. They have, they have, they have people coming back at the most important positions in college football, which are quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, uh, Jack rush end and corner. And so, you know, I, they have, they got guys coming back and they have, they have depth behind a lot of those guys too. And so, um, and, and I, I didn't even mention the defensive lineman. So, uh, I just, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, of course, like I'm I'm weary that maybe kind of some national people are sort of starting to catch on and are starting to, um, because I I think I think we all prefer them to sort of come in like under the radar, sort of slide in that way, um, but it's kind of folly thinking that that's not that's not going to be the case. They've had they've had that target on their back in the Big Twelve, especially every year, and so I guess I'm not as concerned about them kind of resting on their laurels because I losing, you know, four consecutive college football playoff semifinals. Shouldn't that be enough motivation? And that's why I also brought up, uh, you know, a couple months ago or maybe a month or so ago 
Uh, maybe the presence of Iowa State there uh, can can focus them up too, especially in the Big Twelve. Um, and uh, everyone's back on Iowa State, and they understand that that was those were two really tough games last year. Um, so we'll see. Like it's it's always tough when we're trying to predict the mental you know state of mind of eighteen to twenty two year olds. It's 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 not always a it's it's not always a given. Yeah, it's good stuff, and you you hope that just the hunger and the want to by everybody in the program, what would it be the you know coming from the top and Lincoln Riley and how badly he wants a national title and how close they've gotten since he's been there, and he, him knowing that defense has been the the missing link for all those years, and then you know he's trying to finally find that roster and that team that can put it all together where they're not going to be a a horrible, a horrible defense mixed with a great offense where they're just balanced across the board. And like what we've seen from the beginning, they've all seen too. I mean, this is a pretty obvious season where all the, all the ingredients seem to be coming together for Oklahoma. So you, you hope that just, that, again, that hunger is enough. Um, and so, yeah, at Iowa State being at six is interesting. You mentioned Georgia. kind of just thought about this off the top of my head. When I see Georgia on anything, I feel like I – do you kind of roll your eyes kind of like in, in the same kind of way that people probably when they see Oklahoma at the top of stuff, they also probably roll their eyes because Oklahoma has that reputation of, oh, yeah, they can, never, they, they can kind of get there, but they, would ne- they never win. When I, I used to. To me, Georgia, Georgia's the same. Like for me, I'm like, eh, it's Georgia. I, and, and you know what it is? It's, it's Kirby Smart. I, he's, a, he's a great defensive mind, and he's hoping that Todd Munkin can save him on the offense. That, that's basically what it is. Uh, with I guess it, it's flipped with Oklahoma, right? I mean, you got Lincoln Riley, great offensive mind, and he's hoping that Alex Grinch can save him on the defensive side. So, in a way, they're almost kind of they're almost kind of the same team, but just flipped in a way. And I I hadn't put that together until right now. And then yeah, I mean yeah, and I I'm just looking at this now. You know, Georgia only has four guys back on defense. I think kind of the logic there is that they've had multiple number one recruiting classes, uh, kind of heavy on the defensive side of the ball. So there's there's not really like a, a huge loss of talent there. They're going to be replacing guys. But, hey, I mean, in a, in a wide-open college football now where, where teams are just chucking the pigskin all over the place, you, you lose some guys in the secondary, even if they are five-star dudes. I mean, it's not, it's not a given that they're, going to, that they're going to take to college football right away, especially you know if, if everyone is just kind of chucking it around the yard. So, And then like Alabama being there, I think Alabama is there just because you know everyone is just sort of assuming that they're going to reload. Now... Over the last what, twelve years, that's a really good assumption. That, that that's a pretty safe one. Um, but yeah, I think I think people are just sort of starting to kind of come around right now. It looks like the 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 recipe for winning the national championship right right now is to be really explosive on offense, um, and then and then you know have a defense that can help you out too, and maybe get the other team off the field every now and then, who also is really explosive. And I think team, I, I think the logic for a lot of national people right now is OU. Lincoln Riley, this has clearly been the best offense in college football ever since he, he, he's gotten to Oklahoma. They have another top uh, potential top pick at quarterback, um, and now they, actually, now they have a, you know, a lot of people projected as, as NFL players on their defense now. And so I think, I think the logic just sort of is just kind of clicking there. It's the same logic that we all have. And you know, OU fans have been circling this season for three or four years now. And so it's... It's fun. It's fun to kind of see how it's going to play out for sure. Okay. Well, uh, that's all I have on it. Want to move on? You good? 
Yeah, we can. Oh, and I just want to bring up, you, you said like Georgia is kind of that team where you just sort of roll your eyes and it's just like Georgia definitely was that team for me in the, you know, in, in the like the mid to mid 2000s to the mid 2010s. Now that 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 team for me now is Oregon it is definitely Oregon. Um, I just kind of like, yeah, what, they're not whatever. They might win nine or 10 games, but they're not going to seriously challenge anything. I guess I'll I'll add uh, A&M being up there in the top 10. I, I'm kind of curious to see what the next quarterback there looks like after Kellen Mond, uh, see what Jimbo Fisher has there. I, you know, a and M's always a team that is also a, a, a you know, roll-your-eyes type team just because of the history of that program. Uh, I mean, they've they've been okay with Jimbo Fisher. It's just they they haven't – I mean, I know last year they were, they were his best year, but it's still Texas A&M and – they, they kind of just are what they are, you know. They they don't they don't seem to really win anything big. Yeah, and you know they. I mean, they got a lot of guys coming back, especially on their defense. Um, except you know on offense, you you lose Kev, you lose Kellen Mond, which I think you know, there's and and this may be you know it's, I I may say this out of ignorance, but I mean that that may be an addition by subtraction for Texas A and M, despite him being a fourth round NFL draft pick, which blows my mind. Um, but they also got to replace both of their tackles on their offensive line. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's not either. They got to replace, I think three of their starters on the offensive line, including both their tackles. And that's, that's tough. Um, so that's going to be a team that's definitely going to be, going to be carried by their defense. And so I, you know, their team, they had a pretty, they had about as easy of a schedule in the sec as you possibly can have last season. Um, and this year too, I think their schedule is kind of a little bit, a little jokey as well. Um, even for the sec West. Yeah, usually I, it's pretty pretty tough in the West. I, I think it's it's like their first seven or eight games where it's like it's like going into their like going into the Alabama game whenever it is if they're not seven or eight no like it's a massive failure for them. And I maybe I you know I, I that's me just speaking off the top of my head. But you're right. I mean I'm not I I don't I look at Texas A and M at number seven and I'm I'm not scared at all. Um, they're they're a team that is they're gonna have to prove it to me. Um, they're gonna have to prove it to me with you know without having Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans, basically. Let's see. They got Kent State. Uh, they play Colorado. That's kind of interesting. Uh, New Mexico, Arkansas, Mississippi State, then Alabama. Oh, so they got Alabama early then. So yeah, early early mid October, Bama. Then uh, man, yeah, then Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, Ole Miss. Your your late November uh, FCS by by week opponent Prairie View A and M, and then they play LSU. Uh, and I look they at, always uh, play LSU at the end of the year. Yeah. Now the other team that sort of stands out to me there is is North Carolina, and that was a team that I really liked going into last season, uh, just because I think Sam Howell is really good. I he he really impressed I like me as Sam a freshman. Um, but yeah, I, you I like know, Sam Howell a lot. They're at number eight on here. You know, they, they do they do return, you know, 10 players on defense. But I, I, the one thing that kind of gives me pause about North Carolina is they, they quite literally lost all, like the starters that they lost were their best players. They, they lost their five best players, you know, to, to the NFL draft. That, I mean, that includes well, their two the, stud running the backs, their two stud running backs, uh, their, their two top wide receivers, and also their, their stud middle linebacker, Chaz Surratt. And so, I mean, that's... Those are tough. I mean, those are those are really important positions, especially I, I know a lot of their offense ran through those running backs last year. And, you know, college football is a passing game now. And if you lose your two wide receivers, I mean, it if it takes you five or six games to to develop that rapport with someone else, 
I mean, that could be the death knell right there. Yeah, but they return the most important guy in Hal. I mean, and you're right. And hey, they can yeah. probably. Yeah, you know, going and into I, 2017, OU had a massive question mark at wide receiver. You know, it's, I mean, it's not it, it's it's not something they can't overcome. It's just I, I don't like you know North Carolina. We're, they're just two years removed from being kind of a bad program and, and kind of in the yeah. hole, having to go sort of <laughs> kind of throw a hail mary and hire rehire Mac Brown, and he's, he's doing a good job. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah, and according to this article, he's got all of his offensive linemen back too. So it, it's not so it's Hal plus his starting old lineman, and, and that's a big deal I, too. I like Hal. Yeah, he uh, his his style of play, just his mannerisms, the way he kind of looks like Baker out there, uh, just kind of the way he he moves around the pocket, the way he he delivers the football. They're kind of similar in stature too. Uh, he, so he he kind of got a little Baker Mayfield going to him, which obviously is going to give him a little extra bonus points and uh, this podcast. I just yeah, I I think it's super interesting though of just how much you know the twenty twenty how weird the twenty twenty season was is shading a lot of these like I go through it I see a Pac twelve Washington was three and one last year they played four games, uh, <laughs> like you know I see Iowa you know they were six and two Iowa's a team they're fourteen on here there's there's someone I would probably have up close to the top ten, um just mostly kind of just off intuition they Iowa every four or five years has a top ten type team and you know they got. I know they got you know quite a bit of guys back on offense and defense. Um, it's just weird to see USC was five and one last year. I mean, it, it's kind of like you know the top ten right now. It's like what's the top ten at the end of the twenty twenty season because that's kind of all we have to go off of. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Washington, and I was trying to do some research on this a week ago because uh, one week after the OU spring game was the Washington spring game, and I was trying to figure out how Buki played. And I couldn't really find a whole lot on it. It sounds like he's, I think he's been, he's been playing more nickel. So I, I think he's, they're playing him. I don't think he's playing corner. I think he might have played there a little bit, but it's kind of up in the air. So I don't know if he has a set position yet, but it's still kind of unclear where he's going to be in that, in that defense. And so I guess it's something to, to watch out for as, you know, the summer and then fall gets here. I'm just, you know, we're all kind of curious to see, will they get a chance to play corner? I don't think he will. I think he's going to be playing you know, nickel safety type role like he was playing at Oklahoma, just based on what I've read so far. And if that's what he's going to be doing at Washington, then, you know, maybe, you know, add that kind of to some evidence that maybe it was more of a he saw the writing on the wall type deal, which is, I think, you know, every OU fan is hoping that's what it was, that the guys that he knew were coming in, he just, he wasn't going to be able to compete with, which I, you know, I mean, that's, I, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Well, ESPN did its post-spring top 25, so now it's time for us to do our post-spring Oklahoma depth chart. And to make this a little bit more interesting, uh, Grant had the idea to project what the depth chart will be before game one in September against Tulane. So that way it's not just a recap of what we all saw during the spring game, and it's going to give us a chance to inject our opinions into the depth chart and some educated guesses as well. And so I know you've shared your depth chart with me. I've kind of looked over it a little bit. I haven't shared mine with, with, with you. Uh, so we'll kind of just go from the start. We'll start with the offense. Obviously, quarterback is going to be Spencer Rattler. No need to go over that. But after that, I mean, there's question marks kind of down the line as far as who's going to be starting and who's going to be backing up. So since you gave me yours, let's see, how should we do this? Um, no, I guess we, we can go just, position by position. Just go position or, by position and anything. I mean, we're going to have all the same guys on the two deep. It's just the, you know, the order may be rearranged, I'm assuming. And so I have a lot yeah. of, on mine, I have a lot of oars on mine, and I know that's kind of cheating, 
But I just wanted to put the caveat there that if I say if they are on top and they have an or next to them, I, I did that for a reason. I'm I'm you know that's I, I'm saying that they're if you know put a gun to my head, that's who it would be right now. But the or is signifying I think there's going to be a legit position battle in the summer for for that spot. Well, and also there's a really good chance that that is what the depth chart's going to look like before week one because yeah, Lincoln Riley definitely. puts oars everywhere. So you're just you're being realistic with it. And I honestly didn't do oars, but uh, your depth chart probably will look a lot closer to the real thing because, as again, as we know over, over history, Lincoln Riley puts oars everywhere on his depth chart. So at running back, who uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Who do you, I, I mean, so, who, yeah, no. what's it look like for you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have I have Eric Gray on the top, and then it's and it's or Kennedy Brooks, and so I think this is the most obvious one. I I, I think it's Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks are going to get pretty similar run over the course of this season. I hope we see a lot of two back sets. There's there's pro, there could be games where they both start. Um, and so I, I just more I I saw Eric Gray in person. I, the more that you start to hear about him, like with anonymous coaches being just kind of upset that he left Tennessee and thinking, oh God, you know, Oklahoma got this guy. Of course, of course they did. Um, I think Eric Gray may be, may be kind of a special player for OU this year. Just I, He's going to be a jack of all trades. I, he's going to catch a lot of passes out of the backfield and I'm, I'm excited for him. But also, it's super easy to forget after last season how, how good of a college player Kennedy Brooks is. And he is... I. It's still, you know, after not watching him last year, if you just just go back and watch 2018, 2019, just how smooth he is, how good a vision he has, how just kind of subtle and quick his cuts are. He's, I mean, this is this is a really good one-two punch. Uh, this is this this is a one-two punch that OU should be pretty proud of and have a lot of confidence in. Um, and then, like I said in my opening take, fingers crossed that there's they stay healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to go with Gray. RB1 over Brooks as well. And this is gonna this is most definitely gonna be an or on the depth chart. The only question is who whose name will be first. Uh, but the reasoning I'm gonna have Gray over Brooks, uh, it's a mixture of many different things. You know, one, his talent is clear. He's versatile, he can run between the tackles, but he can also catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, number two, DeMarco Murray, earlier in the spring, he ab- he absolutely loves the guy. I mean, he called him a pro essentially early in the spring. Uh, and number three, in the spring game, he was out there with the ones first, while Kennedy Brooks, he wasn't used as much in the spring game. And so I think Gray's already showing that he's picked up the offense pretty quickly, which to me was always going to be his biggest hurdle was how fast can he learn this offense? And he's learning it incredibly quickly. That's what DeMarco Murray said. And he didn't seem like it was that big of a deal when we talked to him earlier in the spring as well. Uh, Brooks, he spent a lot of time away from the game. Uh, I think he's still kind of getting his sea legs underneath him. Uh, and in week one, I think Eric Gray will be the de facto number one, uh, but with all th- with also Brooks getting plenty of snaps as well, because, yeah, they're, this is going to be a one-two punch, and uh, they're going to mix in after that Mikey Henderson and Marcus Major. I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. I'm just I'm I'm really into how different they are. I, I, I really like that. Just their styles and everything. And they're, they're, they have different body types, too. And I, I like I. I think that's I think that's sort of an underrated factor here. I, I really like that, especially third, fourth quarter, second half. I mean, these guys are different to tackle. You're in, when you're in the box, it's you know these are different body types. So I'm I'm excited for this group. I you know not a ton of depth behind them. We, we're not really sure how Mikey Henderson's going to play out uh, or Marcus Major for that fact as well. And uh, 
but I uh, man, they they got a they got a hell of a one two punch. Uh, we this fan base should be pretty confident going into going into twenty twenty one with those two guys at the top. All right, over to H back, and I'll start here. And I mean, this is this is pretty clear. I mean, Jeremiah Hall has carved out his role as the H back, kind of like how Dimitri Flowers was before him, and how how even Carson Meyer was in twenty eighteen when Kyler Murray was playing quarterback. Uh, you know, Hall is essentially that Swiss Army knife kind of guy who can play fullback, but he can also give you a hybrid tight end stuff if you need it. Braden Willis and Austin Stogner, I mean, they're tight ends in my mind. I mean, that's what they're going to do. Uh, Willis, I mean, every once in a while, Willis can line up in the backfield as an H-back here and there, but I think in 2021, that's going to be Jeremiah Hall's job. And also, I can see Mikey Henderson still being used as an H-back in an H-back type role every once in a while if they need it. Uh, and a bit of a wild card on mine is what about Jackson Sumlin? Could he be more of a backup H-back type player to Jeremiah Hall as opposed to a tight end like we saw him in, in the spring game? And you know, I'm just throwing this out there. I, I don't have any inside information. I, I don't know the answer to this, but just his size is a lot closer to Jeremiah Hall's than it is to a, a Braden Willis or an Austin Stogner. So uh, Jeremiah Hall, number one in the H-back room for me, basically by himself. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he's he's at the top by himself. You know, I don't, I, I don't really buy into the Jackson Sumlin thing, um, especially when you have, I mean, you literally have three guys who have played the position who are on scholarship right there, with with you know Hall Willis and and Mikey Henderson. So yeah, but uh, I just I I see the yeah, but I I just I see those other guys more as tight ends. They're not. I just don't think they're really in the backfield type. Yeah, players. I think that, I mean, that, yeah, that's more yeah. Willis for sure. I th- I think Willis is more natural as a tight end. Um, I think, I think in a lot of respects, yeah, I mean, I I think in a lot of respects, Willis is, is more athletic than Austin Stogner and is, you know, does things better than Austin Stogner in some areas. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, of course. All right. And so next up is wide receivers and we're just going to do this in terms of wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three. We're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of X, Y, Z, all of that fun stuff. Uh, we're going to keep it simple here and go down basically our top wide receivers to, uh, for me, I, I have basically one through six. I didn't go past six. I have six. Uh, I don't Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll let you take the first crack at it. Go ahead, because I went first last time. I mean, at the top is obviously Marvin Mims. And, um, I, I mean, I got to – Yeah. I just I, – I still just continue to get this feeling he is just criminally underrated. Uh, I, I was, he, he had – quite quite literally the best freshman season for a receiver in OU history uh he didn't even get a lot of snaps last season he was he showed his ability to to separate from guys and also make acrobatic catches Marvin Mims is freaking awesome like it's he's he's, I think you kind of I think you kind of scoffed at me after game one when I said there was a world in which he was the best receiver on the team he is he's very stupid and that's the thing like he's he's clearly the best receiver on the team after the first game and like yeah, it was, we saw those flashes, and so that's why that's one of the reasons why you know when you, when you heard the grumblings about Trajan Bridges, like him potentially being the number one target, like that's when my mind started to just to go in weird places, thinking, well, wow, Marvin Mims is is already really freaking good. How how, how good must Bridges be if he's outperforming him? So, yeah, Mims, the the criminally underrated Marvin Mims, and I'll 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 uh, I'll I'll keep, I'll keep saying that even if he's a first team All American. All right, Mims number one. Yeah, that's. I mean, he's my number one as well. Um, I'll, I'll go. 
with my wide receiver too. You know, after that, the way I looked at it, it's all about personal preference, and it's it's also we're, we're trying to kind of get into the heads of Link, head of Lincoln Riley as well. And I was thinking, you know, Lincoln Riley he likes to reward seniority. So based off of that, I'm going to go Theo Weiss as wide receiver too, based off of seniority. And the hope is that he improves from last year, obviously, to 2021. I have no clue how serious his spring injury was. Uh, I saw him on one of those scooters with his leg wrapped up on the sidelines during the spring game. Again, no indications at this time that it's going to be a problem for 2021. Think back to 2020. I mean, we saw Lincoln Riley continue to plug Charleston Rambo in over and over and over again last season, which took away snaps I think from guys like Marvin Mims and I think Riley likes to stick by his veteran wide receivers so I think Weiss will be that guy right away in 2021 so he's my wide receiver too our first kind of radical uh difference here so I I I have Hazelwood number two and uh actually I I got Weiss fourth on my list um and and most of that most of that is i'm you know i'm I'm potentially overact overreacting to him just not being around in the spring him being hurt um i just and and a lot of it is more just i i i have pretty high expectations and i've kind of talked myself into mike woods being being a really good player for ou and uh so i mean i'll just say my, my top three is is mims hazelwood and woods but I do have an or next to Woods and then Weiss below him. So and I, I, I think that's right. I, I, think, I think for the most part, those are going to be the four receivers that we see the most over the course of the season. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, after Weiss, I have Mims, Weiss, and I'm going to go Mario Williams, at wide receiver three, the, the true freshman. And I think all the talk we heard about him this, in the spring, I think was totally justified by what we saw in the spring game. He got multiple targets in that game. I'm a believer in him. Uh, I want to see this kid get the ball in space and make things happen. And uh, after that, to me, it's kind of I my order after that goes Hazelwood, Stoops, Woods. And the, the reason why – and you have Woods up high. And the reason why the Woods is not high for me is simply because he's brand new. And he's, he's going to be behind the eight ball starting week one. And I think over time, when he starts getting more and more comfortable – the hope is that he will get more and more targets and be more of a contributor in this offense. I think early on in the season, we're not going to see him that much. I mean, they're going to try to call some plays, maybe some shot plays for him to kind of get him involved a little bit. But I, I just don't think we're going to see him unless he's a guy like Eric Gray who gets right in there and picks it up and boom, knows it right away and is able to take a spot away from somebody, which is certainly possible. But uh, that's why I have Woods kind of down far, uh, further behind Hazelwood and, and Drake Stoops just because he's going to be brand new. I mean, I, I think that's that. I mean, that's a fair argument for sure, and that's why you know. I mean, I'm I'm anticipating him coming in in the summer and, and doing well. And I guess my kind of my logic there is that in the manner that he left Arkansas, like I mean, he he literally played in their spring game and got a touchdown pass, and he was he transferred two days later. You don't <laughs> you don't do that to be to be fifth on the death chart. You know, you just don't. And so I'm, and I'm yeah. not saying that Lincoln Riley is is promising him anything. He's not. That's not. That's not Riley's style. Um, I promise you will get 100 targets this year. <laughs> but yeah, just the manner in which it happened. He's not. He's he, he's not coming here to be to be the fifth wide receiver on the team. That's that's not happening. So, um, and of course, I mean, it, it could work out that he gets here and it just doesn't work out very well. Um, and that's that's obviously a 
you know, uh, something that could happen. I don't think it is going to happen. I think this guy fits OU's offense really well, actually. Um, and so just to tell you my, uh, you know, my order here was, was Mims, Hazelwood, Woods, Weiss, Williams, and Stoops. And uh, I, I think in terms of wide receivers, outside of garbage time, those are going to be the six that we see over the course of the year. You know, and injuries notwithstanding and stuff too. And then, of course, yeah, and I'll, after we get through the offense, I, I kind of want to just go through just uh, who I think just the pass catchers are going to be throughout the course of the season. I think it's, you know, we're, we're going to see some pretty familiar faces. All right, so that brings us to the offensive line, and let's start left to right. We'll go with the left tackle, and I'll start here. And uh, I mean, Oklahoma, they brought in Wanya Morris to play left tackle. So, uh, you know, we saw him with the first team at left tackle in the spring game, and if all goes to plan this summer for Wanya in Oklahoma, I think it's pretty obvious that they want this guy starting at left tackle come week one. So I'm not aware of anything at this time that would prevent Wanya from starting on Oklahoma's offensive line in early September. So I'm going to go Wanya at left tackle starting. Now in the spring game, Bray Walker was with the twos at left tackle. So he could be the backup for Wanya Morris, but you know, Oklahoma's going to probably have some swing tackles like an Eric Swenson who can play on both sides of the line. And you can throw even even like an Anton Harrison if he's if he's not a starter, he could be a swing tackle as well. So they'll have options, but at the top of the depth chart, I think uh, based on the spring game and, and what we know now, I think Juan A. Morris is your guy at left tackle. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, not really anything to add to that other than I, I do think the rotation and, and who's going to back up who is going to be super interesting this year. And so I, I was trying to get like really literal with it. I wanted to you know put myself in their shoes. Like if Juan A. Morris goes down, what would they actually do? And this is all an assumption that that uh, Anton Harrison is going to play on the right side. Um, and, and that's an assumption at this point. I'm not sure that's even been confirmed. Everyone just kind of assumes that's the deal. But um, I, I think Eric Swenson is almost certainly going to be their swing tackle. And whether or not whether or not it's on the left side or the right side, I think if any of those guys go down, it's going to be Swenson that, that comes in for them. Whether it's because we know Swenson's been working on the right side over the course of, of the spring. Uh, so maybe learning that side. And that's really valuable. Like I, I've said over and over again, Swinson is probably not the guy that you want starting for a national championship team on the left side. But as a swing tackle, as, the, as your third tackle who can come in and play both positions, you could do a whole hell of a lot worse than that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, but yeah, Wanye is pencil him in. Uh, seeing him start with the ones uh, during the spring is all I needed to see. He's, he's clearly the guy they want playing the position. All right, and at left guard, I think you got to go Marquise Hayes. He's been there the last couple of seasons. I see no reason why he won't be there to start week one. Aside from that, yeah, this is where you get into the, the Robert Conjol area. I, I think where he's, he's going to be you know, that swing interior lineman for Oklahoma this year where he'll get reps at, at both guard spots, and uh, we know he can play center as well if needed. So that's, that was my first kind of thought with uh, the backup guard spot behind Marquise Hayes. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. He's gonna, I think that's gonna be the left the left guard. I think that's gonna be just the one position where he's the direct backup. Um, and then you're right, like he'll he'll be he'll be a guy who probably does come in and plays you know some right guard too. I'm sure they have Ian McIver there who they really like at center, and I, I'm not sure if he would he would unseat McIver there. Um, but yeah, Conjol, I I think Conjol is gonna be the seventh offensive lineman on this team. Um, with you know with Swenson being the sixth. 
All right, so uh, Sinner, I think we're we're going to be pretty much simpatico on Sinner after what we saw in the spring with uh, Andrew Rain. It's clearly Rain, clearly, and that's good. That's good. I'm yeah. glad that yeah. I, I, I'm glad that he is he is going to very likely be in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, he clearly separated himself in the spring. I mean, I was talking to Dusty a few weeks back, Dusty Dvorak, and it, talking to him, it just it sounds like Chris Murray was just better at at a guard position and. You know, not at center where a lot of people were originally projecting him to play. So, you know, we talked about Raym a couple weeks ago, and I'll, we'll just reiterate that it'd be great if he if he wins the job and he's starting week one, and Oklahoma has found their their next starting center for at least the next two years, depending on how good he is. I mean, maybe the next three years. So that that's a great situation we're in right now, and a, a surprise at the end of the spring for sure. But you know, right I mean, guard. is there any? And this okay. is, I mean, is, is there any worry on your part? I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy who's going to be first-time starter in college football and at a, at a really, really important position. Any think? I, of course, there's going to be kinks to work out at at some points in time, right? But what's your what's your confidence yeah. level that Raym is going to step in and, and just and just be a good player right away? I'm pretty confident. Yeah, I am too. It, I am too. I, I don't think I, I don't think that position is going to be a huge huge issue for them this season and they already got like McIver who is going to be going into his third year I believe as as the direct backup at center is a, he's I, I think we're at the point where we kind of in a pinch we definitely trust McIver um and then well, I mean, and then I'd, and there's Conjol there I'd, I'd trust Conjol too I mean heck even I mean maybe Rain beat out Chris Murray but even if Chris Murray had to he can play center as well I mean it's yeah it's weird how, how much depth they have at at the interior really all throughout the entire offensive line uh, but specifically the inside part of the offensive line. So, uh, right guard. The right side's pretty interesting. So let's 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 go. F- uh, what are your thoughts on the right guard? So I actually I have an or here, obviously, um, and I I did go with Chris Murray on the top. Um, and kind of the deciding factor there was one guy played in the spring and the other guy didn't. And so and, and I'm sure that was injury related or whatever. And um, this is not to take anything away from Tyrese Robinson, who is who the the coaches spoke pretty glowingly of throughout throughout the spring. A guy who had really bought in, had changed his body, um, and so, you know, my uh, my perfect world here is that those guys just kind of battle it out. And so I, you know, I watched Chris Murray play right guard last year. He very obviously moves a lot better than Tyrese Robinson. He's more athletic. Um, I really liked what I saw from Chris Murray last year, and then you, you saw Tyrus Robinson struggle quite a bit at times last year. Um, this is kind of that seniority thing where you, I, I, you know, I think it's there's it's probably a pretty good bet that Tyrus Robinson is going to be your opening day starter there. Um, but I just I when I watch the guy, I mean Murray's just more talented. He's more talented and more athletic, um, and I'm 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 hoping he has the leg up going into the summer. Uh, yeah, I I went with Robinson just because he's been there i mean he's been your starting right guard the past two seasons it's same with marquise hayes so uh you know he was unavailable for the spring game that's why he didn't play obviously uh, and that's why murray was the starter with the ones but i'm gonna give it to robinson based off of the information i have right now uh i i think yeah i think seniority he'll he'll, he'll have that but i mean that doesn't mean that Chris Murray won't get in there and get reps as well. And you've got Conjol as, as well. I mean, you got all these guys, these swing guards for depth. It makes me kind of wonder. We we like these guys a lot, or at least we've been we've been told to like them a, a lot. And you know, I guess we haven't seen them play a, a bunch, but it makes me even wonder if if players like Murray or Conjol 
if they even have any value in a pinch at a tackle position, if they're desperate, I don't know. I mean, like if they're that seasoned and good, or maybe Oklahoma just has depth behind, you know, other tackle positions of guys that like a Bray Walker in the program, or uh, looking back at the spring game at the, the two deep they had uh, like um, Aaron Parks was playing right tackle. Haven't heard much at all about Aaron Parks, but he was, he was uh, starting for the twos, you know, at, and then you had Swinson as well. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, there, there could be a lot more depth than we know about uh, on this offensive line. So, uh, but anyways, I'm kind of rambling. I, I went with Tyrese Robinson as, as the number one with Murray backing him up. So, okay. So, uh, right tackle. And this is the other interesting one as well. Uh, so, here we go. I, I, you know, I think every one consistent thing I, I have, if you listen to this podcast for years, is that I do back seniority a lot. And that's a theme so far going through the offense and that's going to be the theme as we kind of finish it up here on the offensive line i'm going to go and i'm going to say eric swinson's your starter at right tackle i mean they, they like eric swinson i mean he played really well in the cotton bowl uh there's something about him he's he's been around for a long time they like to do it a lot uh, anton harrison's gonna gonna play a lot too though i mean he's gonna split some snaps they want him to play this is going to be an or situation probably uh, because they need to get this guy on the field. I mean, he played a lot last year. So uh, I can see this being a situation where early on in the year it's Swinson, but over time it's it's Anton Harrison or because uh, we're all just kind of assuming Harrison's going to be on the right side. Kind of similar to, what, 2018 with the center position where I feel uh, really bad. I've already blanked on... Jonathan Alvarez. Alvarez, yeah. So like Alvarez started... But then Creed Humphrey basically took his job eh, week two, week three. I think he I mean, took the job uh, for the Baylor game when they when Baylor came to North. That was after the Army game. I think that was that was Creed's first start. Okay, but I'm not so what, positive. Uh, what, what about uh, what about right tackle for you? I have an or here, and so I have I have Harrison on the top, and that's I think that's kind of more wish casting on on, on my end. I, I think it's a good bet that Eric Swenson is probably going to be your opening day starting right tackle just because he was your opening day starting left tackle last season. Um, and they've already, like, clearly they're, they're committed. They moved him over to the right. That's where he started in the spring game. And yeah, this is a guy who, I mean, this is going to be his fifth year in the program now. And offensive linemen like that don't really grow on trees. And I think, I, I think you're right. The seniority here is probably really going to be valued. But man, I, I I hope Anton Harrison is just too good to keep him off the field. I, I I really hope that's the case. And the last kind of position we haven't. I mean, we did H back, but I to me the tight end is kind of like a separate thing now. I mean, I think Austin Stogner and Braden Willis are just they're tight ends, and so uh, I I'm confident. I have no reason to not think that Austin Stogner will be good to go by week one. Hopefully. Uh, Braden Willis will be fine. Braden Willis always seems to be banged up. I mean, that, that guy always seems to, to miss time. I mean, he missed the spring game. Uh, at least Stogner was available in the spring game. So I, I don't. I mean, I don't have much to add at all there. But I, I figured we'd mentioned. Uh, that. I guess you did. You did want to go through all the pass catchers. So I guess that kind of covers those guys, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of like. So uh, one of the weird things I do is like I, I, I daydream a lot, and I start to think. I was like, you know, who's going to catch passes this year? Like, who is it going to be? Like when you. At the end of the season, when you look at like the stats for the receivers, who are going to be the guys that you look at, and you're like, okay, these are the guys that they that they threw to it or they, they threw the ball to regularly. 
And, you know, I mean, we went through them. It's, you know, it's going to be Mims, Hazelwood, Woods, Weiss, Williams, Stoops, and then Stogner, Willis, and probably Hall and Eric Gray. Those are going to be the guys who are going to be catching passes this year. And I think, I mean, that's that's eight or nine guys that you can, and I think, you know, throw Braden Willis in there too, who I, like I said, I think is is pretty underrated in his own right as well. Um, when you kind of start, when you start to lay it out, lay it all out like that, it kind of looks, it looks pretty salty. It looks pretty salty. And, um, you know, we just, we, we just hope that, uh, that the product on the field sort of matches the hype. Indeed. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add on that. Uh, let's go to the defense. Uh, there could be some interesting things to talk about on this side of the ball. Uh, we'll start with the defensive line. And, uh, man, I mean, <laughs> you go through the names and the, the people here, and you're like, okay, this, how is this going to play out? How is this going to play out? So let's start with the defensive tackle position. And this was a position that was occupied by Isaiah Thomas all last year. But I, I guess he's, he's not the D tackle anymore because now Ronnie Perkins is gone and he's moving over, uh, which I guess I didn't real, realize that until very recently. Uh, and even you'll go and look at uh, Isaiah Thomas's, his own Twitter page and he's got himself listed as a defensive end, even though he's not listed as a defensive end on the roster, but uh, it's, it was, seems like they've moved him. He, he was playing tackle last year out of necessity. He's, I mean, he's, he's better as a defensive end. I mean, that's, that's where he's, he was, yeah, he was I mean, really the, good at defensive tackle as well. He was really good. The, uh, yeah, the defensive line positions in Grinch's defense to me are interchangeable. I, that you just put them down there on the line. They just go, I, I don't see any, it's, it's, I mean, basically if you're except the interior parts to me are just kind of like you're in the middle, you, you do it. If you're on the edge, then you rush. So, um, with that being said, defensive tackle is not going to be Isaiah Thomas, from what I understand. Who's it going to be, Grant? So I got Josh Ellison on the top. Um, it, it is with an or with, uh, with Jalen Redmond. And that, that's just because of the unknown. You know, Redmond didn't play in the spring game, and we're not sure why. And I, I know, I mean, we, we, just, we all really liked what we saw from Josh Ellison last season. I, just a motor for days. That guy plays really hard. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, he was, uh, I, I think in an interview over the spring, he said he's basically been with the ones all spring at defensive tackle. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go with what my eyes are telling me. And I, I think right now, Josh Ellison is a starting defensive tackle. And I think by the, by the Tulane game, it's probably a pretty good bet. He will be as well. Um, but of course, that's another one, just like kind of how I'm feeling about right tackle with Anton Harrison and Eric Swinson. I hope Jalen Redman is just too good. And he just, he regains, uh, you know, everything that he had in 2019. I hope that's just too good to keep him off the field. That, that's what you hope. I, I think Josh Ellison is definitely, he, he works best as, as a guy on your second team uh, for sure. Um, whereas with Redmond, you, you want, you want the physical specimen up there um, you know, starting for you. And I just like, I'm not, I'm not confident enough yet to say that about Redmond. Yeah, I think that's well put. I think everything you said there is probably spot on. I mine is purely wish casting. I think is is a term you used a little bit ago. Uh, I have Redmond ahead of Ellison, but purely just because I want him to be the starter. Uh, so this is the idea of Redmond, Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, and then throw Nick Benito. I, I mean, that's hopefully we see that many a times this year, and you know, throw Ellison there too. Ellison's good, uh, but yeah. So it's just it's purely me projecting what I want to see, but. 
everything you said about Ellison is true. I mean, he's been with the ones all throughout the spring. He's got a got a motor. He you would expect him to be improved upon last year where he was pretty darn good. So yeah, I think I think you said it well. Uh, as far as the middle part of that line, the nose guard position, that's Perry on Winfrey, obviously. Uh, by the way, I I've seen a, a handful of mock drafts for next year that have that has Perry on in the first round. Yeah, uh, he's a. So, I think I the guy that I compared him to uh, last year when I first is Derek Brown, the guy with the first round pick out of Auburn. I, I think they're really similar players, and um, yeah, it's not it. It, it's not going to shock anyone if that guy is, is a first round pick. I don't think. Um, what I think is, I, I think it's interesting. You know what's behind him because they're they're the the top three that they have at the nose tackle position is is really good because it, it's they got Jordan Kelly and Corey Roberson backing him up at nose tackle, and that's I, I that's I'm pretty confident with that. I'll go to battle with those guys any day of the week. Yeah, and we still don't know what to expect yet from a guy like Isaiah Coe, who apparently can Isaiah Coe move yeah. semi trucks, can like push according to uh, Calvin Thibodeau. He's one of the, or no, who was it? No, was it Jamar Kane? I can't. One of the guys were saying it was like the strongest guy on the team or something like that. God, that makes me Thibodeau. think. Gosh, it's like of course you want you want Isaiah Coe to, to emerge and be a really impactful player for them, and then I start to think to myself, gosh, you know, if you do that. Can you slide Corey Roberson over to three technique? Is he athletic enough to do that? And the give that there's more depth there, so you don't so you don't feel like you're forced to put Leron Stokes on the field a lot. Um, oh man, they got especially on the interior of that defensive line. They they got they got more talent there than they've had in a really long time, and it's it, it's fun yeah. to talk about for sure. Yeah, the thing is, they have a lot more talent, but it's not like we always would say, even in the the, the 2017 2018 seasons. The the line was where they were at their best. I mean, that was like who their best players were. I mean, with like Neville Gallimore and even like a Marquez Overton. I mean, depth piece, but he was good. I mean, in 2019, he was a good player. So it's like, weirdly enough, Calvin Thibodeau, and now obviously Jamar Kane has brought even more great players. I mean, he's done a pretty good job, and they've just, I mean, with Alex Grinchin, they've obviously elevated it quite a bit ever since then. Uh, so, I mean, I was good, say, on, I think, good on everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that speaks really highly of of Calvin Thibodeau because um, I mean yeah Neville Gallimore was the only NFL guy on those defensive lines so I mean it wasn't and they you're right I mean and it's like you know in 2017 and 2018 it's not like they were like good on the defensive line yeah. I mean they were they were okay they were all right 2019 they yeah. were really good on the defensive line uh, and then of course you know very very good last season so then you move over to defensive end and that's where we're both going to have Isaiah Thomas there and so the fun thing comes after Isaiah Thomas, who do they like the most at defensive end? And uh, I hope it's I'll Grimes. go through mine. I mean, yeah, I mean, I got I had Grimes there as the next guy as well, and he's just he's huge. What is he like six four, two sixties long? Yeah, he's, he's big dude, and he was a guy too that you know I I talked about. I was I was a little weary of him just because he was a guy who was going into his senior year of high school. He was a five star guy by a lot of outlets, and then he didn't have a very good senior year, and he he kind of took a nosedive in a lot of those ratings and I was like eh you know maybe this is it's, it's maybe a coin flip on this guy and everything is looking great right now I mean there's been no drama out of him whatsoever from from what I've heard uh, he looked physically ready to go the moment he stepped on campus um, I just yeah I mean I, I hope with a year of development and a full offseason that that guy is gonna is is gonna kind of uh, you know entrench himself as as Isaiah Thomas's backup 
And then I, I think this is really interesting to bring up. Remember in, tw- in 2019, you know, Laurent Stokes was a starter on, in, on the defensive line in 2019. And he was talked up as a guy who, you know, would come in and, and would be a really good player for OU, a guy who maybe could um, be a guy, like a dude. And what does it say about the depth and the talent that this defensive line has now? I don't think, like, Laurent Stokes is maybe third on the depth chart at two different positions, and that's it. Like, you know, I... Yeah. Um, cause yeah. he was, I, I, I had him as my, as third on, uh, as defensive tackle as well. And so, and I have him third as defensive end. And so like, I think he's, he's one of those guys who can definitely be interchangeable at those two positions, which is valuable of course. But man, I mean, LaRon Stokes was the, was their, was their third defensive lineman in 2019. And he's like their eighth or ninth now. That's yeah. That's a good point. That's crazy. Ooh, yeah, that's man, that is pretty good. Um, so, and but outside of Grimes, you have your Marcus Stripling, you have your Ethan Downs, and kind of Downs is the wild card kind of guy, true freshman. Uh, and, and Stripling has kind of been that guy without a position. You know, they're kind of moving him. They had him as like rush linebacker, but then they move him to de- defensive end. Uh, I mean, he's he's definitely a guy that's valuable coming off the edge, and so, but he's a depth piece at this point. At least we believe he. It, it, we believe him to be <clears throat> all right so now we get to the rush linebacker spot that's obviously nick benito who is uh another uh, between benito and Perion. oklahoma could have two first round defensive players in 2022 which is pretty salty to think of considering when was the last time a guy got drafted oh i guess kenneth murray my bad kenneth murray was a first round pick but it was just like one of those things where i guess he was a first round pick but <laughs> We, we didn't really get the first round type play out of him until his last year in 2019. And, um, and that's, that's kind of why I brought up the whole thing with Schleybaugh. And it's like, I mean, is he talking to people? And is he starting to realize, like, oh, crap, OU's got some dudes now on the defensive line? And I, I, that starts right now with Benito and Winfrey. I mean, those guys were, you know, like you said, Winfrey is, is in some first round mock drafts. Uh, pro, pro football focus, Nick Benito was by far the best pass rusher in college football last season. I've seen Benito in more first-round mocks than I've seen Perry on. Really? Okay. And so, I mean, you yeah. put two of those guys in the front seven, like kind of on the line, that's uh, most of the time in the history of college football, that's going to be too much for a vast majority of teams to deal with, um, especially in the Big 12. And I th- correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think a shout-out to one Mike Stoops is in order because I'm pretty sure Stoops recruited Nick Benito. He did. He did. That because I recall him when he was when he uh, committed and he was kind of like a skinny kind of lanky guy with a weird name that I didn't know know how to pronounce at first, and uh, I yeah I think that was a Mike Stoops guy. So you know what, kudos to Mike Stoops and kudos to uh, Alex Grinch and Jamar Kane for developing this dude into a potential first round draft pick. So that not everybody that Mike Stoops helped recruit was a, a total whiff. Benito's a good story, uh, I guess, man. I, I like, you know, he's he was a guy I thought was sort of positionless when he came to OU because, you know, he he was recruited under the previous regime. Um, and, you know, what, like, the crap they were running. It's like, where are you going to put a, you know, a Russian linebacker who doesn't have his hand in the dirt? And they did that with Oboe, I suppose. But um, And then, you know, he started to come on. He started to get a little more run in 2019. And by the last quarter half of the season, he was making plays. Remember, he ended that game in Waco. It's Baylor with... with Dropping into coverage and picking that off. I'll never forget. 
yeah, and then after he uh, after he dropped an interception. Yes, after yes, after he made a really nice play, like a, you know the play before that, and dropped it. <laughs> um, and then and then you fast forward to to last season, the opener against um, uh, Missouri State, and I I remember seeing him on the field, and I was like, who is that? I don't even know who that is. That's how much he that's how much he changed his body, and that's just how much he changed his game. Like I, I didn't. The Nick Bonito that we saw in 2019 and what it turned into in 2020 kind of shocked me. I, I, I just I, I didn't know that he was that type of player. And I, I just like I am kinda of licking my chops thinking about what he would do with a full offseason now and also a full season of experience under his belt where he's where he knows what moves work and don't work and he knows what he needs to work on and um obviously always gonna be improving his body and, and all of that. And I is Nick Benito is really good. Like, I mean, he is he's he's up there with some of the best with some of the best players in the early to mid two thousands on defense. And I think we've we've gotten to the point as OU fans where it's like that's just kind of we haven't had that in such a long time that I don't think people I don't think people have realized yet how good he is, like how dominantly good he is. Yeah, I'm probably one of those people. As I've been going back through, I'm. By the way, I haven't talked about it in a long time, but I'm, I'm still doing the Buki rewatch. So I'm going back through and watching all the games, all the secondary players. And I'm getting to the end of 2020, and while I'm not focusing on the first two levels of the defense as much as I'm focusing on the secondary, watching all these games back in the defense, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of the linebackers and the defensive line. And so you know, watching back the games from 2020 again is reminding me yeah, just how good Benito was. I mean, he, he would... Yeah, he was all over the place a lot, and so I'm kind of glad I'm doing this because even though I'm, I'm watching the DBs mostly, I am seeing again all these other guys on Oklahoma's defense that we're going to see in 2021, and it's reminding me that, yeah, these guys, this is what they looked like in 2020, and you hope that they're going to build off of it and be even better in 2021. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I mean, with, with Benito, the, the hope is that he, you know, over the course of the summer, he's, he, he learns and he develops and he's able to finish a lot more of those plays. Uh, because you know, with Pro Football Focus, it was all about the pressure rate. And I mean, turn on the tape, and he is. He, I mean, he's beaten the left tackle a lot, much more often than not. Um, and I just like it's. I, I bring up the whole thing about I, I'm not sure if the OU fan base is just caught up with how good he is yet, because I I, I still remember the Eric Stryker years, man, and everyone loved Eric Stryker, and I did too. Man, Nick Benito is so much better than Eric Stryker, and and I, I'm not sure if. I'm not sure if the casual fan has really caught caught on to that yet. Yeah, I can't comment on that because I I wasn't watching much OU football during the Eric Stryker days. I could not I could not point to a play that he made. Uh, I was more more into the uh, Texas A&M football team those years. Ugh. Actually, my I mean, Saturdays can, at Kyle Field. You can definitely make the argument that the Texas A&M team was was more interesting in that time. I mean. All the drama there was with a Kyle lot going Allen on. and Kyler being go, gone. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Trevor Knight being there in 20... oh, 2015. 15? Uh, 15? 16. Yeah, 16. Was he was the backup in 2015. 2016. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was kind of interesting. Uh, okay. So after Benito there at Rush, I don't see how it's not going to be Clayton Smith here. And, you know, and also, I mean, Brendan Walker's more of a veteran. He's going to be there as well. Stripling? He's my third. Well, Stripling is kind of he's been Stripling's been moved to defensive end though. He's been playing more. I think he got moved over to the defensive end again. When did you When did you hear that? Oh God, when did I hear that? 
Because if that's the case, I need to revise a lot of this. If 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 Stripling is still at defensive end, I he'd he'd almost certainly be the one backing up Isaiah Thomas. Um, I just I on the well on the roster he's he's both he's he's D end outside linebacker still. But I okay, so that makes me want to. That makes me want to change it. Yeah, Stripling is going to play this year. He's not. He's not going to get buried on the depth chart. He's got. He's got too much athletic ability. Too. Too. Too high of a motor not to put him out there. And I like. I. I love Stripling at Jack. I, I think his body type right now. That's. That's clearly kind of the best position for him. And I like the idea of him being able to just sort of run people down, be an athlete, not you know not have to kind of you know duke it out in the trenches at the defensive end position. So, I, I actually I, I have. I have Stripling ahead of Clayton Smith. It's an or. It is an or. Um, but I mean, that's we're going to see a lot of Clayton Smith too. It's like it, the hope is obviously that he's just he's just too physically dominant that you can't keep him off the field. And like I was thinking, man, could you come up with like let's say Clayton Smith is like hits his stride midseason and he's he's legitimately someone that that the other team has to account for when he's out there. If that's the case, man, like you you could come up with so many creative pressure packages with that like you could have Benito and Clayton Smith on the field at the same time you could kick Isaiah Thomas into defensive tackle you could have Jalen Redmond out there too and uh, Perry and Winfrey of course as well like man yeah if, if Clayton Smith develops as a guy who can rush the passer and is a really good player that was that's gonna this this defense already has a lot of potential unlocked but that's just gonna unlock more yeah I think I must I must have imagined I, I could have swore I'd he, he's moved back to defensive end. I don't know. But, yeah, if he's still playing rush, then sure. Uh, I, I mean, basically, I just want to see Clayton Smith play a lot. So uh, they'll figure it out. They have enough bodies there. Alex Grinch will get guys tons of snaps. It doesn't – it honestly doesn't even matter. It, it doesn't really matter what the depth chart looks like. I mean, you know uh, – yeah, you know they're going to sub a ton. Like, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot of these guys, and that's awesome. That's That's great. Uh, okay, so next up is Mike linebacker. I uh, I went with Brian Asamoah because I think he's the he's the main guy, the main linebacker that that Brian Odom likes there at that Mike spot, and uh, it's going to be Deshaun White and Caleb Kelly. They're battling for the backup spot, but again, like I just said a second ago, it it doesn't matter really. I mean, there's snaps to go around. Everybody's going to play. It, everybody played last year. I mean, they're. Sometimes it would be Deshaun White and Agwebu on the field. Sometimes it would be Asamoah and White on the field. I mean, it would just it's just kind of like whatever they wanted. So this is kind of a tough situation to be in for the depth chart because it, it really it it's gonna say it on paper, but then in the game it's gonna play out a different way. But I, I went with Asamoah with uh, White and Kelly backing him up at Mike. I don't I don't is does Asamoah I don't think Asamoah plays Mike, right? He's the, he's he's the will. I thought he was the Mike backer. Yeah, he started at Will in the Cotton Bowl. Who started at Mike? Deshaun White. Deshaun White's the Mike. Was the, was the Mike all of last yeah. year? And when, except when Igwebu spelled him. Uh, I I think. I mean, I don't think they really even have positions anymore. No, they, it they doesn't. Just, You're right. It doesn't. There. That it like yeah. The the linebacker position. I could have swore I've. I could have swore I've I've seen like the participation where, I wouldn't have just imagined him being at Mike. Let me, let me go back. But, I mean, you're right. Like, I mean, the, a lot of that is pretty up in the air as far as OU's defense goes. But, um, no, I mean, yeah, at the will, I had, or, or at Mike. Mike, it's, it's, it's going to be Igwebu and Deshaun White and Brian Mead kind of backing up those two guys. 
And I think like it's right. it's it's going to be a thing. Like I, I think everyone sort of wants David Igwebu to to take over there at middle linebacker. Uh, but it's I mean it's not. It's 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 going to be White and Igwebu probably one two the entire season. Um, which is okay because they because they sub so much. But um, I don't know. Did I just did I just totally throw off your your rhythm? No, I. I just realized that I, I honestly I don't know where any of these guys even play. Like I, I don't know what these guys' positions are. To me, they're just linebackers. <laughs> like I know I know that Nick Benito's the rush linebacker, but everybody else on this roster to me, they're just a linebacker. Like if you're not a if you're not a rush linebacker, you're just whatever. Like there's not there's not a traditional like Mike linebacker in this defense. There's not a traditional Will line. Like this isn't a four three defense where you you got your your Mike Will and Sam. This is a nickel defense with. It's this is this is kind of a blind spot I have with this type of defense when it comes to the linebackers because to me I'll see like you'll see a guy that's playing Mike, but he's like coming off the edge and he's definitely not playing Mike. So I'm like, okay, so this is just, I, yeah, it's I've like always a throwaway title. I actually I, I did play around with the idea of ju- of just listing the six linebackers that are that we're gonna see next season. Like we're gonna see six guys. Like I I mean it's right. I mean we're gonna see Asamoa, Kelly, Aguebu, White. Witter and Mead. Those are the six guys we're going to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm looking at, like, the Baylor game, and, like, Agwebu was a starter at will. Oh, okay. You know? So, and yeah. Like, I mean, that's... So, and I know, but, like, why it's confusing to me is, like, I know at times I've seen, and we've all seen this, we've seen at times on the field where you got David Agwebu and Brian Asamoah on the field together, and Deshaun White's not there. So, one of those guys is playing Mike. Uh, but we've also seen where, like, obviously Deshaun White and Nguibu on the field together in this Baylor game. Uh, there's times whenever White and Asamoah are out there together. So it's just like all the they all kind of play right. the same position. They yeah, all, I mean, there's is, there's a lot kind of confusing. There's a lot of position flexibility with the linebackers. I mean, you just look at look at Kenneth Murray. I mean, I would feel like his you know in 2019 the the best descriptor of his position would be as like as shock trooper essentially. They they just put him they put him everywhere and let him run like it wasn't so yeah you're you're right i mean i i do get kind of confused with the linebackers at some points in time that's why that's why i played around with the idea of just listen out the six and i i think we i think we both can agree honestly that's fine yeah i I think we both can agree that the three guys we're going to see the most are the three guys we saw the most last year um you know aguebu white and, and asamoa and the hope right right fingers crossed the hope is that Man, you know, maybe Caleb, Caleb Kelly puts it, you know, puts a lot together this year, and he finally has a really good season. You know, I hope Shane Witter continues to develop, and then I think we we all desperately want Brian Mead just to be that sixth guy, the the guy who is you know is is not out, doesn't have to be out there a lot. Um, but you know, the the two guys, Kel, you know, Kelly and, and Witter are gonna have to develop for that not to be the case. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much to add there. I, I'm realizing that because yeah, for me, I I had Asamoah starting at Mike because I just to me he was a, he's a Mike linebacker and they like him a lot more. But then again, that gets in the way of my seniority argument because Deshaun White's been the Mike linebacker now for the last couple of years, so it makes sense that he would be the starter there. And then I had David Ogwebu as the will starting at will, and then his backup was Shane Witter. And Caleb Kelly's a guy that can kind of play it all, but I guess he's moved from Will to Mike. And it's like, okay, you know what? Like, and also Caleb Kelly told us that he was a starter uh, before he got injured in 2019 in, in fall. So, like, what if Caleb Kelly, if he's fully healthy, what if he's actually a guy that's going to win his starting job? What if he actually is really good? I mean, and hell of a story. He's back. Yeah, it would. So, man. 
I think that's unlikely, uh, but I mean, it'd be it'd be awesome if that if that was the case. I mean, he's a he's a guy I think everyone would kind of agree has been a bit of a disappointment as a player. You know, it hasn't really lived up to his five star status, but that doesn't mean he hasn't made some really big plays in his career because he has. I uh, just kind of think, you know, down the stretch in 2017 and 2018, how many big plays he made. Um, but yeah, I mean, with him, you just you just want him to be healthy because you know, he's such a good guy. He's such a good ambassador for the program. Um, I, I I think it's a successful season for Caleb Kelly if he makes it through all the way healthy. All right, let's move on from the linebackers to the secondary. My favorite position group and the position group that always has the most discussion, it seems like. This is going we'll to quarterbacks. I, this is going to get interesting. Uh, so quarterbacks, um, one, two, uh, I have, uh, I'm going DJ Graham and Woody Washington. One, two is the two starters. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, although we didn't see Woody Washington in the spring game, he was banged up a bit at the end of the spring inside that program. They're expecting him to be a star and, uh, you know, Behind, you know, obviously DJ Graham. We know about DJ Graham. Uh, Grant thinks he's a future first round draft pick, <laughs> which he he could be. Who knows? What I think he's. I, I just yeah. I mean, I just I think his. I think he moves more yeah. fluidly than Woody Washington does. And you know, I'm, I'm comparing him to Woody. Like, I mean, it's. Nah, I just I, I that's fine. right right now uh, the, the the love affairs uh, that I have on this team are are Mike Woods and DJ Graham. These, these are the guys <laughs> that I have convinced myself are you know are going to be all stars. So, yeah, Graham, Washington, you know, the, the two corners, two starting corners. But behind those two guys, I mean, you got some incredible depth at cornerback. I mean, you got Jaden Davis, who, I mean, he's starting for a lot of teams. I mean, he's a starter, and he's got to play a lot. He's got to get a lot of snaps. He's the third corner, then you throw for sure, it. right? Like, he's the first yeah, guy off the yeah. bench if, if either one of those guys gets hurt, I think. He has to be. Or burned. <laughs> and, or burned. I mean, because, yeah. yeah. Like, Jaden Davis has been... Jane Davis has been a legitimately good player for OU in his first two years. Um, yeah, oh, there's yeah. been he's he's kind of faded down the stretch and 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 both seasons, but he's he's put way more good tape out there than bad. Yeah, and then uh, after Jaden Davis, you got Josh Whedon and Latrell McCutcheon working for snaps, and also where is Justin Harrington gonna be by September? He's I mean, not is on that my. Going to be a thing still. He's not on my list. Like I just, I, I think it's too up in the air. Like I don't. Um, if he, if he really is going to play corner, and you know, on, on the official roster, yeah. he's listed as corner and defensive back. Um, he's just a defensive back now. Oh, he is. Okay, and so I, I don't, I just, I don't know where he's going to be. I, I think, like I said, you know, before spring started, I think everybody's, everybody sort of wanted him to be, at least me, I, I wanted him to be the nickel i want him to take over that nickel spot um i there hasn't been any talk of that i don't think it seems like it's kind of seems like that's that's jeremiah Cradell's spot right now and i don't know yeah so i, I that's a bit of a spoiler alert i don't have justin harrington anywhere on here all right so uh should did we you just go like, over your corners then yeah yeah let's just i mean let's just go over the i have i have four corners listed essentially it's uh i think the top or five Top five corners on the team are going to be Woody, DJ Graham, Jaden Davis, Josh Eaton, uh, Latrell McCutcheon. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if Harrington's going to keep playing corner, he's going to be in there, and he might be ahead of everybody but Jaden Davis, depending on... I mean, he moved pretty well in that spring game, and if he has more time to recover and he's moving a lot better 
in the fall and you mix that with his experience level. I don't know. Or, or I mean, they're going to move him to a spot where if he's good enough to be a guy they want on the field, they will make sure he's on the field. Breaking news, right? And, you know, hey, <laughs> like, like you said, we, you know, Alex Grinch runs a defense where he asks the safeties to play a lot of man coverage. And so, I mean, it, would it, I, it wouldn't shock me, too, if they just if they go ahead and just insert him right at free safety and just say, hey, man, go play man coverage, be an athlete. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that point. But I think the, the book is totally open on that right now. We, just, we don't know what's going to happen with him. I, I just I, I can tell you, looking at him in person a couple weeks ago, the size is there and the length is there. And he, he moves really smoothly. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't really have any opportunity to make any plays, but I, you know, he, he definitely looked like an athlete out there. Yeah, and looking at these two safety positions, we can move on to that, that uh, the the back end. Harrington could be a guy that would be a lot more valuable back there, whether it be starting or depth. Uh, considering as I'm looking through there, so let's let's go. Let's start with strong safety because I think DTY is is going to continue his role starting in the back end. Uh, but as, you know, aside from DTY, it's it's like. I, I guess Bryson Washington looked kind of solid. I know Jordan Mukes might be able to contribute, but he's young, and I'm still I, kind of like, I don't know. Don't forget yeah. about Kendall Dennis. Well, he was playing more of a nickel position during the spring game. Oh, geez. I mean, that's that's where it gets weird, yeah. So I actually, yeah, I mean, the strong safety, I have I have DTY, and then I have, I have, I have Bryson Washington and Kendall Dennis there too. Um, Mukes, I, the only reason I, I don't have Mukes on there is because he's a, he's a true freshman. That's it. I, yeah. I you know I don't want to I don't want to fall too in love with what with what you know coaches were saying about him in the spring. Um, whereas you know I thought geez, I, I thought both Kendall Dennis and Bryson Washington showed some things in the spring game that you, you definitely can like for sure. Um, with Bryson Washington, you want you you he needs to put some meat on his bones for for sure. But I I really liked I liked the way he moved out there. I thought he moved really well. So uh, yeah, I mean the safety spot. I think is, is the biggest question mark what's going to happen. We have, there's a lot of experience back there. Both of your starters are back, but also there's kind of some guys who may be ready to bang down the door a bit. And so, um, who did you, did, did you just have Bryson Washington behind DTY? So I, I probably should have started with free safety because that kind of led into my strong safety. But by, by the way, Bryson Washington, he does look really skinny. Like you said, but he's not that skinny. He's 6'2". He's, he's 192. I mean, he's, all, it's, he's pushing close to 200. So he's, he's holding that 192 really well. I mean, it's like, I don't know, I don't know how, or, and I don't know how he's at 192 because yeah, he he's kind of rail thin. Um, anyways. That, Gosh, man, if he could get that, that up to like, like I would have guessed he was like 180, and, maybe yeah. like 175, not 192. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he needs to be. I mean, if if one ninety two looks like that on him, he needs to be up at like two hundred five. God, if he can, yeah, if he all, can get I mean, to two hundred five and not lose any speed or anything like that, that's. I mean, man, talk about a guy who looks good in his uniform. He wears it really well. Yeah. Okay, but so you asked about DTY behind him, uh, backing up DTY. I, I actually think it could be kind of like a Key Lawrence being like a swing type position at safety, uh, because as I'll throw three. I'll throw free safety into this as well. Uh, I think Pat Fields is going to be your starter to begin with. Just you know, year three of Alex Grinch. Uh, he has been you know Pat Fields has been Alex Grinch's guy. Him and DTY, and I think you know seniority. Here we go. I mean, he'll he'll be the starter. Uh, but this is not like year one, year two, where the depth behind Pat Fields 
and the depth behind the Larry and Turner yell was was kind of lacking. I mean, there's some people back there, as you kind of referenced a moment ago. And we saw Key Lawrence starting in the spring game at that free safety position with Pat Fields out. And so I think we can all probably guess that Lawrence is a guy that's going to get a bunch of snaps as well. And, and over time, I expect him to take take that job away from Pat Fields. And let's say that happens. Let's say Pat Fields now has become more of like a reserve role. And let's be fair. I mean, again, it's, this is Alex Grinch's defense. Everybody plays. I mean, it's not like he's going to just be on the bench and not play because he will. Then what do you do with, you know, the backups there? You know, like who do I have as my free safety backup? I, I mean, I, I had, yeah, it's, I had like, I had, I right had now Fields and Key Lawrence. I think it's pretty clear right now that, you know, because, yeah, I mean, I, I have Key and Pat Fields as, as an or there. I, th- I think that's going to be a co-starter thing probably where they, they both get starter-like snaps. Um, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. You just kind of read the writing on the wall and everything that was going on in spring. Justin Broyles is the guy behind them. Um, you know, he's, he's a senior. He's, he's, I yeah. think, what, 17, 18, 19, 20. This is his fifth year in the program. Um, yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's Broyles. He's played the position. It just, you know... You could do a whole lot worse than a fifth-year senior who has, you know, has starts under his belt as your fifth safety, and that's not even that's not even counting, you know, Justin Harrington if he goes there, or Jordan Mukes if he gets a run. Um, now, yeah, like I said you could do a lot worse. That's like that's this is sort of what we wanted, right? I think in 2017, a lot of people expected Justin Broyles to be a guy who came in and and changed the culture of the defense, and you know that hasn't, you know, he he's he's been there for the culture change, but I, I don't think anyone would say that he's he's been kind of the the flashpoint of that but i mean like i said you could do a whole lot worse than Broyles as your fifth safety i, mean, I don't yeah I, and he's he's a swing safety i mean he he's played everywhere this spring i mean wherever they need a, a body yeah he'll be that guy whether it's free safety or strong safety and you know as i do my rewatch he didn't play a whole lot of snaps but in 2020 he's not he's not in the negatives he's he's technically positive points in my grading scale again very few snaps so he doesn't have as many opportunities to get negative points but uh when he's been out there he has not embarrassed himself i'm about seven games in so i got about you know was that four games left i think i think there's they played 11 games last year yeah so yeah i mean right and uh, you could do a lot worse than than Broyles, especially considering you know, it sounds like again, like Lincoln Riley said, he had his best spring. He's his mindset's changed a lot, um, and he knows this defense. So, and I, you know, I didn't even have Burrell's on my list, but yeah, I mean, he definitely is back there as one of the safeties. Um, I hope he's a yeah, guy. I guess all we have left in, and I guess uh, yeah. yeah, just one more thing on Broyles, because um, you know, I I have a soft spot, especially guys who who you know, soft spot for guys who stay around that long. Um, because you know, I mean, he he clearly loves OU. Like, why else would you stay? You know, if he hasn't he hasn't really ever been a starter outside of maybe the first half of 2018. He's he's been kind of put through the ringer. He's had a lot of, or he had one really bad moment and on a huge stage. And um, like I said, yeah, I, I have a soft spot for guys like that. And I, I I hope he I hope he gets enough run this season, um, where he he puts some good film on tape and then he can get he can go to the transfer portal and he can start somewhere for a year. I, I really hope that's how it works. I don't know if the eligibility will work out that way, but I'm pretty sure he could have used a, a red shirt one of those years, and then last year just doesn't count. Uh, would he actually have another year of eligibility? I don't think he would. 
Well, so let's think about it. I think he, he got redshirted in 2017. We didn't see him at all. And he would have been a redshirt freshman in 2018, redshirt sophomore in 2019. Okay, yeah. Next year doesn't count. He's a redshirt junior right now by by the NCAA's standards. He's a redshirt senior by OU's you know standards. But um, okay, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I hope I hope he has a season like that. You know where he where he can he can go like start at North Texas or Tulsa for a year. You know or something like that. Um, or maybe even better. I don't know. At that point. I mean, he would probably be a grad transfer, too. So, he, I mean, I don't oh, know yeah. if that matters at all. I'm, I'm sure he could. I don't know if that helps or hurt. That doesn't hurt. Because um, I'm sure by that time, he'll definitely be. Uh, well, he will definitely have graduated. Uh, so the last position we have to get to is the most interesting one, nickel, because Buki is gone. And uh, for that position, uh, I, you know, I, I stuck with the same uh, consistency I've had all throughout this podcast. Uh, I'll give Jeremiah Cradell the benefit of the doubt right now. Um, I will say that he is the starting nickel, although Billy Bowman sure looked more than capable in that spring game to me. And uh, he'll get his chances. He'll get his chances to play a lot of snaps, I think, from that nickel spot. Uh, and then the aforementioned Kendall Dennis. Uh, he looked okay in the spring game. Uh, is he a guy that can continue to, in practice and stuff, get the coach's attention to, to hey, hey, you know, I – Maybe if, you know, maybe if Bowman and Cradell have the nickel spot, maybe, maybe Kendall Dennis is a guy where they're like, ah, this guy's, eh, maybe we need to move him somewhere else because you got to get him on the field more. So, but I'm going to go Cradell and uh, Bowman, but I'm, that is the position right there that I am, that and, and the cornerback position because I'm kind of, I'm pretty excited to go into a season. No offense to Trey Brown, but I'm excited to have not Trey Brown <laughs> out there anymore. I want to see, uh, in, as I, as I bag on a guy who got drafted in the fourth round, uh, and, and played a lot better towards the end of his career. But uh, just the technique and, like, the football savviness of Woody Washington and DJ Graham, to me, it just, it's a lot more fun to watch than uh, grabby, tuggy, pulley, uh, <laughs> Trey Brown. So uh, the cornerback positions I'm excited to watch, and then the nickel spot I'm really excited to watch. I got nothing to add on nickel. I got, I got the same two guys there. Um, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's a little too neat to think that it's just going to be Cradell and Bowman there all season long. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not going to happen at any position. I mean, there's, you know, we, we have we have two seasons now of Alex Grinch being here to know that, you know, I mean, there's he's definitely going to plug and play. He's going to mix some stuff up. So, I the secondary this season is utterly fascinating uh, to see where they go with it. Um, and like like I said, I, th- I think I said this a couple you know a couple months ago, but. Us talking about Kendall Dennis like that, you know, he he did. I thought he did look really good in the spring game at times. He had um, he had really good coverage on Mario Williams on that slot fade where Rattler threw an absolute dime. And of course, you know, and then you know, a few plays later, he tackled Jaden Hazelwood on on kind of a similar play. But I, I just, yeah, I mean, we're talking about Kendall Dennis like that, and I just think we're we're a long ways from Dakota Austin and PJ and Banasor and uh, I'm trying to think of like Starlin Baldwin. Guys like that, you know, I mean, yeah. this is, this, it's, it's, it, the defense is starting to, to look like what it should be at Oklahoma. Um, and like I said, man, it, it happened quick because, man, even in 2019 when Grinch got here, they had a lot of holes on that roster. And, uh, the, the work that him and that defensive staff have done over the last two and a half years is really impressive. It's really, really impressive. It is, and going to take this in a different direction. Speaking of Grinch and his staff, 
let's just hope that let's see I, it, I think and this is all this is my opinion I have <laughs> as I always make it very clear on this podcast I have I, I'm not uh, I'm not calling Lincoln Riley or Alex Grinch and chatting with them every Sunday to see how the family's doing uh, I, don't, I don't have that kind of access unfortunately I'm not that cool and even even if I did, I mean, they probably still wouldn't even. I mean, who, they they probably, <laughs> Lincoln Riley probably doesn't give his family information. I mean, he's so tight lipped about so many things. Uh, but what I was going to say is, I'd like to think that Riley and Grinch kind of have a an understanding. Whether I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the verbal communication thing, where it's like, all right, yeah, this is the year we're going for it. Uh, you know. Stick with me for this year. We're going to go as far as we can. And if they feel like they put forth the best effort and they get close or whatever, no matter what happens this year, I can almost kind of get this feeling that after this season, Riley will be cool if Alex Grinch entertains other options, other head coaching options. Like, this was kind of it. Like, hey, man, give me, give me three years. Give me three years. We're going to try to win a national title. And then after that, if you if there's a spot you know a, a job that you want that's there you know what uh, go for it and yeah, I mean, obviously we don't want Alex, yeah we don't want Grinch to go anywhere obviously but I mean let's we're not going to put our heads in the sand I mean this guy then you you've made this point before in this podcast I mean even even after this past season I mean he's a guy that can go to a legitimate program and be a head coach and he will do that whenever he he sees the right opportunity he he ain't going to be going like. The whole like Arizona rumors. Like, he ain't going to Arizona. Get out of here with this. No, Alex Grinch can can go to a power five. Uh, like a, okay, Arizona's a power five school, uh, like a big time program. And I know that you have an example in, in your mind. As as I'll shut up and I'll let you get to it. But anyways, I'm 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 hoping that there's some sort of understanding there. But this is kind of the year. And then after this year, Alex Grinch. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if if a good job comes along, he's gonna bolt. I can assure you if, like, let's say, I mean, this is a national championship type season, Alex Grinch is, is, is almost certainly not going to be the defensive coordinator in 2022. And, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I did mention this, you know, a month ago. Like I said, Alex Grinch is a guy who, who leaves OU to go to a job like Michigan, not Arizona. Uh, Alex Grinch is, is that dude. He is, I, I, I think he's definitely in a position right now where he can definitely be a little, a little picky with where he goes after oh. this. Oh my gosh. Um, and yeah. he's, he's, he's yeah. not going to Louisiana Monroe. That's, it's not a stepping stone. He's, he, he is going to get a major power five job. Yeah. And I guess it'd be for a different podcast. We could kind of look around the country and see potential jobs coming open in the next year or two that, that might happen. where like a coach is on a hot seat somewhere. We're like, uh, I mean, I think didn't Michigan just re-signed Harbaugh? Like, they I did. They, so that's why I so, think yeah. that's maybe not super realistic. But I mean, Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa for a long time. Alex Grinch being at Iowa wouldn't wouldn't uh, stun me. Um, I mean, he's 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 a Midwest guy. I mean, he's a, he's kind of a salt of the earth dude. And so, it, I mean, I, I I do think he he's probably going to end up in that region of the country. But you know, it, it timing is always a big deal too. It's just you know, I Alex Grinch is really special. He's I mean, this is this is. Uh, this this was quite the poaching uh, from Ohio State that Lincoln Riley did, and you know, I'm, I'm glad he did. So yeah, that was kind of like a random sidebar about the 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 future of Alex Grinch, but just kind of a an also, opinion I mean, that his, I wanted to put his out. His defensive there. staff is awesome too. Like, I mean, I Brian Odom, I, I think, is very clearly one of the best position coaches in college football. Um, 
uh, Manning, Roy Manning coming in, he didn't, I don't think really had any experience as a DB coach and he's, he had more linebacker, more linebacker. I think he's been, he's been, I believe, I think he's been really good. He's been really good for you. And I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to talk about Jamar Kane, Calvin Thibodeau. They've whatever, give them a blank check, man. Yeah. And, and just to even get more into the weeds, I, it's one of those situations where when Grinch does leave, uh, and it's it's probably going to be uh, you know in the next at at the at the longest two years. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, if they win it all this year, and it it, it would all depend on if there's a job that he really really wants. But yeah, I mean, he would definitely leave. Yeah, if they win it all, uh, and, and, and yeah. like Indiana is the best job that's open. Yeah, you know, I I I could yeah, see him staying at right. OU. Which Indiana is not going to be open, obviously, because they love that coach over there. I mean, he I can't think of his name right now, but uh, Purdue man. Uh, yeah, huh? I mean that's a well. Don't they have Brom? Brom, right? That's his name. Yeah, but he's they've uh, been they he, they were they were pretty good his first year, and then they've been they've been straight up bad the last two seasons. Yeah, I guess it all depends on what Alex Grinch sees as a big time job, and that's an all opinion type thing. Uh, what was I going to say though? Oh, uh, when that happens though, I'm I'm going to go ahead and guess just kind of based on what I've heard and what I understand, they'll probably. Uh, promote from within to the next defensive coordinator. So one of these guys on on Grinch's staff, I wouldn't be surprised if I don't know who it would be. I think it'd be Odom, but I think it'd be Odom would probably be the DC if uh, if Grinch left. And so the question with the, the question then would be, which guys go with Grinch and which guys would stay with uh, Brian Odom at OU? You know, if if Odom was the guy, you know, that would be the. But anyways, there's no re, no re, no reason to get into that now. Well, if they if they win a title, that'd be an excellent problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the last thing on the docket uh, is just NFL draft stuff, and we, we don't have to go too much into this. But um, in case anybody out there that listens to us wants us to talk about the NFL, and I'll just get to it right now. I mean, Trey Norwood getting drafted in the seventh round. I don't think you and I expected Trey Norwood to get drafted, and he did. So, uh, ha ha. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the most PC way to, to say this. Um, I can't think of anything. So, yeah, uh, uh, Crow will be eaten. We were wrong. Trey Norwood did get drafted. Congratulations. He deserves it. Uh, one of my favorite secondary players for OU over the last three, four years. Um, I, I've enjoyed watching him play. Uh, I, he earned that spot. I thought it was kind of ridiculous that he was going to uh, declare for the draft, which – uh, he ended up being one of those guys that got drafted, and he didn't have to worry about being a, an undrafted free agent. Like, unfortunately, Adrian Ely had to be an undrafted free agent. So good for Trey Norwood, uh, and also good for Trey Brown. I did not anticipate him going in the fourth round. I thought, I thought maybe fifth round, but more likely like sixth or seventh. But clearly his, his physical tools and attributes – jumped off the page he had a great senior bowl and seattle likes him and i have no idea where they're going to play him are they going to play him at corner are they going to play him at nickel are they going to i i don't know what they're going to do with trey brown but he earned it and he's a fourth round draft pick so those are the two secondary players and and oklahoma got secondary players drafted grant for the first time since 2016 so good stuff that is good stuff um you know, I think you you said it best before. You know, before we got on the podcast, we were talking about Trey Norwood, and you you described him as just as, as a as a high IQ player. Um, and I you know I think that's why he got drafted. That's that's why he got drafted. Um, 
I just, you know, when I see the the physical traits, uh, I just, I, you know, I don't, I don't really get it. Um, and you know, I, I know in, in college football, of course, having a high IQ guy who can play multiple positions in the secondary is very valuable. He was a really valuable player for OU down the stretch in 2020. Uh, I'm not going to take that away from him at all. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think this is more of a testament to the type of person he is. Um, this is a guy who he, he does not have all the physical ability in the world. He doesn't have the body frame. But you're, like you said, he is a, he's a high IQ guy who has worked hard and has gone through some adversity while he's been at OU. And maybe, maybe, that just, maybe the Steelers just kind of fell in love with that. And uh, Mike Tomlin, whenever he announced the draft pick, he said what we all know. He said that he's a Swiss Army knife type player. So the Steelers know exactly what he is. And so in their mind, they're taking a flyer on this guy who can play any position on the field. And they're going to see if he can win himself a roster spot in training camp. And even, you know, even if he doesn't get a roster spot, a guy who is a quote unquote Swiss Army knife, that's a guy that they definitely want on a practice squad probably as well. So I think, you know, with Trey Norwood, it's all about, I mean, hopefully when the season starts, he just has a job, whether it's on a roster, on a practice squad, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's an accomplishment on its own. And so... Like I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll eat all the crow in the world there. Um, you know, I, I, I feel kind of rotten going out on a limb and saying, you know, that's, that's sort of, it's silly for him to even, you know, go into the NFL. But uh, I, I'm looking at that now, and I'm just like, I kind of wish you would have came back. You probably, if you had a good season, you almost certainly would have improved your draft stock. But um, what's the, I mean, but really, what's the difference between a fifth rounder and a seventh rounder? There isn't really. Yeah, I'm not sure what the money scale is on that. Uh, if you want to talk about that, though, uh, you know, Creed Humphrey ended up being into the second round, going to the Chiefs. So a great spot, obviously, going to Kansas City. I mean, you love that. However, if you want to look at the, the downside to it, there were some, some whispers at the end that he might sneak into the first round again and ended up not even getting close to the first round because he almost fell into the third. But uh, I think I looked at a couple of articles and the – where Creed got drafted late second round compared to if he was like a late first round pick, the difference in money is pretty substantial. It's something like eight to ten million dollars. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, and it, a lot of it's signing bonus and 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 whatnot. I mean, Creed's still getting a pretty good uh, a pretty good check in the second round. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's still making millions of dollars. But the the first round would be a lot better. However. I uh, made this point on the Blitz a couple nights ago or a couple weeks ago. It's like eh, going to the Chiefs is a pretty good consolation prize. And the way the Chiefs are set up and the little bit of research I've done, they just signed this offseason uh, a free agent center to a one-year deal. And, okay, that's who they probably expect to be their starting center, one-year deal. But now they draft Creed. In theory, Creed, who knows? Creed could potentially beat that guy out. I mean, he's a veteran player. Maybe not. Probably not. But the way I look at it, at the latest, by 2022, Creed Humphreys are starting center for Kansas City. And he's snapping the ball to Pat Mahomes for uh, what he's opening, for, you know, for the next 10 to 12 years of his career, his entire career. That is, I mean, that, and if that is what his job is, think about what his next contract will be after being a rookie. I mean, that, so... He's he's in a great spot right now, Creed Humphrey, and I assume you you think the same. You know, I think I think we all agree here, everyone listening to this podcast, that that Creed Humphrey is better than where he got drafted. Uh, you know, I think that's the case with the center position, though. It always just it it really does depend on the year and the and the the different team needs. 
you know, I mean, there, there, there probably are years that he would have been a first round pick. Um, but you know, there's, there's, you know, just not, not a huge, uh, want for center or for sinners in, in this particular draft. But no, I echo everything you said. He, uh, despite all of that, he went to the perfect situation. I mean, this is, I, I don't, I, in, in terms of, I'm, I'm sure he's a little disappointed where, you know, him falling a little bit in the draft, but his landing spot is, is great. And yeah, he's, um, one thing, uh, you know, as OU fans, we never got to see is him play with Orlando Brown. And we are theoretically going to be able to see that now. And that's, for me, that's, I, I love, I love stuff like that. And, um, I, I love former OU players that never played together, coming together in the NFL and being teammates, uh, just kind of the idea of that sort of warms my heart a little bit. So I'm I'm super happy that Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey are, you know, hopefully for the next decade are going to be members of very likely the best offense in the NFL for 10 consecutive years. Jeez, <sighs> yeah. Um, so there's Creed, and then uh, the last two players we haven't touched on are New England Patriots now. And you got Ronnie Perkins in the third round going to New England, and then in the fourth round you got Ramondre going there. And... Like, I get it. Uh, I know, uh, I mean, Dusty made the point that in terms of culture and the head coach and, you know, like structure, this is great for two guys who got into trouble in college. Okay. Yeah. Like, I get that. As far as actual, like, will they be good in the NFL? I don't know. I, I mean, I think Ronnie will be fine. It's just Ramondre, with that position in that on that team, it's it's such a plug and play. Like, I they don't really care. I, I don't. You have to really do something to stand out. Like, I don't know if Ramondre is gonna be anything more than just some random New England Patriots back here and there, and then that's it. You know, like, or maybe he's a guy that ends up like. LeGarrette Blount was whenever he was with the Patriots where they actually used him a lot and he led the team in rushing and scored a bunch of touchdowns for him was a feature back for him it's just it's hard to say without Tom Brady there what that team is offensively Uh, and candidly I don't think they're very good offensively I just don't especially if Cam Newton's still the quarterback I'm um so I'm agnostic on on Ronnie going there I you know I think it I think it could work out well it could not um it's it's probably it's definitely better to go to New England as a defensive player than it is as an offensive player right now. I believe. Um, having that been said, it's it's an absolutely disastrous landing spot for Ramondre Stevenson. Um, and I and like I, I you know people who are into fantasy football understand this, but they just I I'm they just they just don't stick with a with a running back in New England. Even even you talking about Legarrette Blunt, he was still part of a revolving door there as well. He was they used him situationally a lot. I mean, he had in the 2016. He he was like a their bell cow, like lead back. But other than that, I mean, it was yeah. I just it, it wasn't steady. Yeah, a, a legitimately a legitimately awful landing spot for Ramondre Stevenson. Um, that's that's disappointing to me. But hey, I mean, that'll make it even better if he does turn out to you know to be a factor for them. But I just they already have so many running backs, and like Sony Michelle is still there. I'm pretty sure Rex Burkhead is still there. So Burkhead's a free agent now. Oh, he is. Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't know if I was looking up this stuff. You know, when James when, uh, White Ramondre is still there. Drafted. James White's still there. But the thing is, James White's value is not the same. Whenever Tom Brady's not their quarterback, I mean, Tom Brady would pepper that guy with ten targets a game. It would seem like out of the backfield. Uh, 
so if Burkhead truly is gone, that definitely helps Ramondre. I just don't know if he's one of those guys where I think he's like reha- rehabbing an injury and maybe New England will just re-sign him before the season. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, Damian Harris was kind of like their guy last year who, who you know, led them in rushing. There's Damian but. Harris, too. Yes. I mean, that's his he's I mean, the moment he steps foot on that in that building, he's the, he's the fourth running back at best. And, well, and that's here's a, the thing. I mean, you know. yeah. Best case scenario is he he and Damian Harris is like a one two punch. And Sony Michelle is just like they cut him because his knees aren't working anymore and they don't see any and like maybe I guess James White's like a third down back or something. I mean, like Ramondre's got to be somebody where he's able to stand out and is a guy they want to get in the football to. I just don't know if he can really do that in that offense because I just I don't think New England's offense is good. I don't think Cam Newton's very good. I Who's a, who's their quarter? Uh, oh, they just drafted Mac Jones. So I guess that Mac Jones could be their quarterback. I don't know enough about Mac Jones, to be honest with you. So like, I've, I've refused to have an opinion on him because I didn't watch Alabama play that much last year. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know, man. It, I mean, will he be starting week one? I don't know. Like, oh, I doubt it. I good? mean, they, they re-signed Cam. They're not – Cam's going to start. Yeah. Like, I, I, you definitely do that under the auspices of he's, he's going to sit for a year, Mac Jones is. I mean that that would be my plan, I guess. But yeah, yeah you know, I'm I'm just yeah. I, emotionally, I'm 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 pretty bummed out that 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 Ramondre landed in New England. Um, I just yeah, I th- I think there's there's plenty of offenses in the league where he could be not a feature back, but a really uh, you know a, a really nice change of pace guy, just with how big he is and how 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 light on his feet he is. He kind of I think I mean he he does really remind me a lot of Lindale White. Um, he's he's bigger than Lindale White, I think. Uh, like he's taller. But they they both are just huge guys who who move really well and are like they're not like you know big tanking hulking guys. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering Lindale White. I don't know, but big guys <laughs> who are soft on their feet. So uh, that's all I have like specifically on those guys. But I I do I just remember this because I'm, I'm going through the draft right now and it's worth mentioning. We got to we got to shout out <laughs> former Sooner Trey Sermon was a third round draft pick and he came off the board before a Ramondre Stevenson and Trey Sermon is a, a, a loved guy. I mean, a great dude. Uh, every time we had a chance to talk to him, he was at OU. He was, he was very humble and soft spoken and really nice. Uh, very happy to see him go, but man, I'm sorry. Like I just, I do not see how his game translates in the NFL better than like a Ramondre Stevenson's game. And I'm looking at the, the backs taken ahead of Ramondre uh, sermon, went to the Niners, which I mean, going to the Niners is a great spot for Trey sermon. <laughs> like that's a great place to go for a running back. So sermon's in a great situation. Whereas Ramondre, maybe not as much uh, the, the two North Carolina backs were taken before Ramondre. I, I guess they were pretty good. Okay, fine. But did you see the guy that was taken literally one pick before Ramondre Stevenson, Grant? I didn't, actually. I was kind of checked out at that point. Who was it? This is insanely crazy. It, it's an Iowa State running back. And no, the Nwongu guy there. went before him? <laughs> Kene Nwongu <laughs> was drafted by the Vikings one pick ahead of Ramondre. And it's like, um, Kene Nwongu is like the classic... Uh, not a feature back, kind of like you, like a, a kick returner that like 
maybe you put him in like a couple times for like a snap here and there, like a fourth round pick by the special teams guy. Yeah. I, so I, that was I didn't had no idea he was he was even like draft eligible and like I, yeah he would even I, be picked. I I remember when that when I saw that that he was even drafted I was like wait what the guy who like the guy who <laughs> literally like who couldn't get any carries at Iowa State got drafted I yeah I mean him going ahead of Stevenson is that you know that's I mean obviously the NFL I mean that's one of the the, the wacky traits of the NFL draft I guess it's just I mean he's, team, he's he's really fast I mean Nwangu's really fast so yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's his thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go back to the the Trey Sermon thing. Um, super happy for Trey Sermon as a human being. Um, I you know I'm 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 I hate the fact that his his career ended at OU in in not a super great way. I I really hate that. Um, especially in a season where, <laughs> you know, and especially in the first quarter of the year, the first half of the season in 2020, OU desperately needed him really 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 needed him and so watching yeah, him did. yeah you know watching him run for nearly 300 yards against maybe he did run for over 300 yards uh, against northwestern the big 10 championship him just kind of being dominant down the stretch for ohio state kind of stung a little bit um having that been said Ramondre stevenson in my eyes clearly a, a better player than trey sermon um and that's like and trey sermon's really good i i think i think trey sermon is good enough to be drafted in the third round of the NFL draft, just because he does a lot of small things really well. His vision is great. And he just, he just does not ever go down at first contact like ever. Um, and so I, I think, I think he's going to have a long NFL career for a running back. Uh, but having that been said, if, if I say you know, healthy, yeah, if, if he can stay healthy gun in my head though, if, uh, if a guy that I want back there, it's going to be Ramondre Stevenson. If I can only pick one guy between those two, I, I Ramondre to me is the, is the clear pick. Uh, he's, he's, Better athlete, better athlete can do more things. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Uh, I think he's a little more explosive too, uh, and that's like the main thing about running backs in the NFL. Uh, lastly, uh, Chuba Hubbard, man, he got, he goes to a good spot. He goes to Carolina. Uh, you get the, I mean, it's gonna he's gonna be behind Christian McCaffrey. It's gonna be McCaffrey and Chuba Hubbard, and you got a great coach in Matt Rule. You got Joe Brady at least for one more you know one more year until. Joe Brady decides he wants to be a head coach, probably. Uh, I mean, Chuba should have came out last year. He would have gotten drafted probably a little higher, uh, made a little more money. But for him, uh, you know, going to Carolina, is that ain't too bad. So just wanted to bring that up there because he's one of those guys where obviously Oklahoma State. So uh, a weird 2020 for him. And so I, I want to bring up – so I, I don't have anything more on the draft except for this uh, because I we didn't – I don't think we've had an opportunity to discuss this like in length or anything, but um, the the portion of the draft where I got kind of like the most fired up and was just like, so like what on earth is going on? Like, um, so I, I was really confused of what the Baltimore Ravens did at the wide receiver position in this draft. Um, and so it just, I mean, if you didn't see it, they, they drafted Rashad Bateman, who I thought was the second best receiver in this draft. Um, and then they also they also drafted Tylen Wallace as well in the fourth round, and you know I, of course I'm I'm an alumnus at the, at, at the University of Minnesota, and so I, I you know I kind of have an emotional stake in Rashad Bateman there, um, and Tylen Wallace I I'm an admirer as just a college football fan, and I just I I'm I cannot 
begin to tell you how awful of a landing spot that is for both of those guys. <laughs> and um, it, it bugs me. One, it bugs me because Hollywood is already there. And so, you know, do I, you I think... Ask, yeah, as I say, do, do, that do you want to ask Hollywood for confirmation of that? Yeah, you know, they that, that says something of, of what they think about Hollywood as well, uh, which, you know, isn't great. And, you know, here's the deal. I am... I'm higher on Lamar Jackson than you are. Um, I'm we're on the same page. I, I just I, I don't think he's a particularly good passer, um, and I don't think he's shown any evidence that he will be at any point in time in his career yet. He is an elite athlete. He's he's maybe the best athlete that's ever been in the league ever, and that's that's valuable. And I don't think we should, I don't think we should totally dismiss the fact that he was an MVP. Having that been said, I this I. The league caught up with him this past season, and they understood what he did well and what he didn't do well. And it was it was clear that he struggled throwing the football this past season. And so, this only makes sense in my eyes if they're just if they're planning on running just a massive amount of RPOs over the middle of the field. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be over the middle of the field. He hasn't shown the ability to get it out past the hash marks. And um, I, yeah, I just I'm I'm curious. I I thought I thought Tylen Wallace was a guy who would. I, I couldn't understand why he wasn't getting kind of more like second, third round type buzz. Uh, probably injuries, I, I would guess. But um, yeah, he was a yeah. guy I was that's, really that's interested to see where he would end up just because I just I, I think so highly of him as just like he's he's a guy who I, I, I compare a lot to Sterling Shepard. Just better. He's just he's better. Um, so, I, yeah, that that bugs me just because one, I mean, there's there's already, you know, quite a bit of Sooners on Baltimore and there's one less now with with Orlando not being there anymore. Um, but already two Sooners that are involved in the Baltimore Ravens passing game, frustratingly involved in the Baltimore Ravens pass game. And then, yeah, I mean, just just adding two more of, of honestly, some of my favorite college football players ever to that just to that black hole of a passing offense. Just as a football fan, it, it hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah, here's my interpretation of those draft picks. Not necessarily just a bunch of RPOs and stuff, because that's what they've been doing anyways. My interpretation is, okay, I'm the Baltimore Ravens. I know that we have a limited quarterback when it comes to throwing the ball. Like He's not, he's not terrible. Like He's not completing 45% of his passes, but he's... He's, I think he's below average for an NFL quarterback as far as passing. I, I think he's a below average passer in the I NFL. He's, I think he's, he's an average he, passer. I think he's an average passer okay. in the NFL. Because, yeah, I mean, there will be times where he'll, he'll make a, a, a really incredible throw, and you're like, wow, I don't, didn't know he could do that, but then it's not consistent. But here's what I think they're doing. They're thinking like, all right, let's just put really talented guys around him, and that will equal him being able to make the throws or like maybe the margin of error will be not as not as small to like where he can he can just throw it around these around these guys or maybe they'll get open easier and so it'll be an easier easier window that's kind of my thought is like if we just put really good receivers around him then it'll make him better whereas like normally you you want your quarterbacks like your quarterbacks make the receivers even better I mean you got a really good receiver and your quarterback makes them even better. You got a not-so-good receiver, your quarterback can make that guy average or a little bit above average. It's almost like flipped with the Ravens. Like They're, gonna, they're hoping that they're, they're going to put receivers around Lamar Jackson that actually makes Lamar Jackson better. And I don't know if that's going to work. I guess, yeah, and then that's where it just, uh, you know, Bateman and Wallace are not guys that were 
that really like caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage and, and did things kind of in the open field. Those are guys that caught the ball down the field. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they, they clearly, I, I think their, their idea definitely is we want to still punish people with the, with the ground game and the athleticism of, of Lamar Jackson and then, and then chuck it deep is, is, is probably their, what they're thinking. I just, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's going to work, but I, I do want to say though, like when, when you talk about Lamar Jackson, I, I, I do think you, you underrate his athletic ability too much and how, and how much of like a factor that plays in his effectiveness. And he does have a oh, hose. I mean, He's just not an accurate passer or a super like decisive decision maker. I don't think I underrate his. I don't think I underrate his athletic ability. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, and to, to his credit, they did win a playoff game this year uh, for the first time. Granted, it, it was a really ugly game. Uh, in, in Tennessee, uh, Tennessee's offense started stymied, and the the key, the biggest key or the most, I shouldn't say biggest, the most underrated key to Lamar Jackson's career has been the fact that he's playing for the Ravens and his defense is always really good. If he played on a team that had a, an average defense, the Ravens wouldn't be anywhere near the, the, the same team as they've, they've been since he's been there. Because that defense is able to cover up a lot of... Uh, I mean, that, that defense was the reason why they were able to win the playoff game this past year because Tennessee could not score. Because like the Ravens' offense didn't do anything outside of two plays that Lamar Jackson made the entire game. But it, it didn't matter because the Ravens' defense kept him in it. It's almost like the Ravens are – it's like the NBA. It's a very good regular season type team. They can win games in the regular season. But then the, off uh, the offense, for whatever reason, you get to the, the playoffs, and they did win the one game, but it just doesn't seem consistent enough. And I just don't think it's going to work long term. And that I mean, would be I mean, the frustrating know. thing if I was a Ravens fan. I mean, we we know that once you get to the playoffs in the NFL, it's all about it's all about how well can you throw the ball and how well can you can you rush the passer. A lot of the times, I mean, that's kind of I mean, that's 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 how Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl. They were in Patrick Mahomes' face the entire time, um, and I mean, we we know how how powerful a, you know a, a high powered um, passing game is in the playoffs, especially when you get hot. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again this past decade. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think the Ravens definitely are kind of more built for for long term regular season success because I mean they throw a lot of looks at you. They're, you know, they 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 really test your eyes. They you know they they make sure that you're disciplined and stuff like that. And and over the course of a 16 game schedule, and you have the best athlete in the league running it, that's that's going to win you a lot of games. Obviously, I, you know, I just like I said, yeah, I, I think there's there's been too many opportunities where a defenses have shown that they understand what Lamar Jackson wants and is trying to do, and then once they do that, they don't really have a lot of issues stopping him. And so I, I think that's not something that he, you know, that could be something that he gets better at. I guess we'll see. You know, I mean, they're they're going for it. Clearly, they want to surround him with you know the the best talent they can. And like, I mean, I know you know from Rashad Bateman's standpoint. That guy's special. That guy's a special player. He's a guy that I really wanted to see, like in an offense, uh, like at Carolina, like with Joe Brady, something like that. Um, but no, I mean he's gonna he's gonna be in an option college offense, which, you know, I his, <laughs> I, I don't know, man, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Okay, uh, time for us to get out of here. It's been uh, quite quite the podcast. Uh, no telling what our next uh, our next episode will be. Do you have something you wanted to say? 
No, I was going to say, I mean, it's just we don't we have no idea when the next one's going to be. So here's a here's a two hour long one for you. There. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Uh, who knows if anything breaks, any news comes out, we'll we'll let you know uh, if, if we need to talk about something. We'll be back. But uh, as of now, it is TBD. So until next time for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.